Oh, my hero, how did you win 500 times in a row at the casino? He's just a shy hero, but surely we know all about the way you just stopped an evil plot to take over the world. Maybe you want to tell us all about the people you've helped along the way. Oh, I know. Could you talk about the secrets of properly dry cleaning a parasol? Jeez, no wonder you stay silent all the time. Hey, paisanos, it's the Backcheck Brothers Super Show! We're the Backcheck Brothers, and old school are games. We're not like the others. You get all the fame. If your back love's in trouble, you can call us in the double. We're more retro than the others. You'll be hooked on the brothers. You're hooked on the brothers. For a treat, so hang on to your seat. Get ready for adventure from our pieces of sweet From consoles, computers, handhelds, and the others. Listen to our show, you'll be hooked on the brothers. Yeah, yeah. RPG Backtrack, where we talk about computer and console role-playing games from the way back when, right up through yesteryear. Here are your hosts, Phil Willis and Mike Minky. Welcome to RPG Backtrack. This is show number 194, Chasing the Dragon. I am Phil Willis, and this is the one and only Mr. Mike Minky. I have seldom been imitated, and even more seldom, I think, maybe... Maybe I have been imitated successfully elsewhere that, I, that has never come to my attention. It could be true. We also have uh, our favorite female uh, guest, host, whatever you are, team member, whatever, our favorite one in the whole world, Miss Relly Kyan. Oh, stop. I'll bet you say that to all the girls. Yeah, because we have so many that come on our show. So it is a tough competition. Well, I hope I live up to that expectation. Well, you know who else has a lot of expectations to live up to? We have a brand new fresh me I mean team member, staff member, uh, Mr. Mr. Matt Mesmer is joining us. Oh, that sounds about close enough. Yeah. Everybody remembers Mesmers, right? From uh, Guild Wars? I love playing a Mesmer. You get to control the battlefield and stuff, and they always dress really beautifully. Notice my outfits. Ooh, a sharp dresser. Well, Mr. Mesmer, our listeners want to know more than what you uh, than what you dress up in. They want to know the juicy details about you. And to help them with that, I have a gauntlet of questions prepared just for you. These are not similar to the questions that have been asked of anyone else in the past. Get mm-hmm. that notion right out of your heads, listeners. Yep, yep. And as always, should you answer one of these questions incorrectly, you'll be immediately and irrevocably ejected from the show. And blacklisted and banned from all RPGs ever. Mm-hmm. Oh, he, he, he's stunned with silence. We'll let, the, let the Inquisition begin. Inquisition. Inquisition. What is your handle on RP Gamer and what do you do? 
Um, I am a recent joinee, and I do news and reviews, um, or maybe singular there. Um, I am platym 3 and you can find me all over with that, but that is my handle on RP Gamer. Give us a brief overview of your gaming history. It did all start with the original Dragon Warrior a long time ago in the 1980s. I got Nintendo Power for Christmas, and it you came with You had the power? Me. He had the power! power. I was Not about for long. To, I think maybe... I was about to ask if he was a Nintendo Power kid, or if um, he just ended up with a copy. Like, everybody ends up with a copy of Dragon Warrior somehow, even if they don't remember purchasing it. Well, yeah, because Nintendo power. vastly overestimated demand and had to send them to subscribers, right? They did. They had to get rid of that mountain of uh, games somewhere. They didn't marry them. I started with that. Um, mainly on the Nintendo the NES, I went through the Dragon Warrior games as a kid, um, played the original Final Fantasy, and then uh, kind of skipped a lot of generations. I somehow hit Final Fantasy five and six in college through different means. Um, I did play the seventh saga on my Super Nintendo. Actually really liked that one. That one is we have never talked about it on Backtrack and I haven't actually played it because I know it's kinda of brutal. Very br- um there's just some battles you should shy away from and suddenly you're on a, a five hour side quest to get everything back you lost. But it um in the 2000s, I got kind of modern with a PlayStation, um, got Dragon Warrior 7, and then immediately got a PlayStation 2. Started with the Grandia games and just plowed through a lot of stuff. Loved Final Fantasy X. Um, nowadays, mainly it's the DS, the 3DS, and the Vita for me with uh, some PlayStation 4 games thrown in. Team handheld for life. Mac would be proud. Mm, he would. But you may not be so proud if you answer this next question incorrectly, because this by far is the question that gets the most people ejected from our show forever. You ready? Taking up for this, and I know the right answer, but go ahead. Okay. What is your favorite RPG? I'd have to go with Dragon Quest Eight. I- I'm sorry, I can't. I can't hear you. Did you say <laughs> Final Fantasy Six? C Six. I just mixed a few letters around. Okay, fair enough. Close to- Six, eight, whatever. Oh, okay, all right. Very hey, well. You, you picked the good Dragon Quest, so good job. Yeah, yeah. we're almost at the point where we're going to have to give that one a backtrack, too, because its 3DS incarnation is almost two years old. Yeah, at least he didn't say Dragon Quest Seven: Fragments of the Forgotten Past, which is no, the game Phil, we're Phil, talking about today. Phil, that would, still, that would still be better than Dragon War Seven. Well, this is true. Uh, so welcome, welcome to the show, Mr. Mesmer. Uh, yeah, we are here today to talk about Dragon Quest VII, Fragments of the Forgotten Past for our main event. Uh, we have an RPG backtrack sidetrack, uh, where I will be discussing my experiences with Icewind Dale 2, uh, and Tales of Magial, and, uh, we'll be wrapping it up afterwards with the final lap. So we have a lot of excitement for you. Why don't you listen to some music? Hold on tight. We'll be right back.
take a game or series of game and we chop it up into tiny little bits of pieces throw its entrails on the ground and do a fortune reading today we're talking about a dragon quest uh seven uh this was this is weird now why would why would in wikipedia says it was developed by heartbeat this is made by enix wasn't it it was published by enix but i think heartbeat may have been the studio that yuji hori just handed a bunch of development to Huh. Yeah, they've they've traditionally always done that with all of the Dragon Quest, like the ones before that. There was a couple of them that was um, Junesoft, and there um, I know that eight was uh, level five, and I don't know what the most recent one was. You learn something new every day. Uh, this was, of course, published by by Enix um, or Square Enix uh, in Japan. Just depending on which version you're getting, I suppose. This was yeah, released back on... on the original. That's before there was a. But yeah, that was E. Good old, good old fashioned Enix. Uh, big old letter E coming up on my screen. I played Dragon Quest IV back in the day. This was released on over here at America. We got it on the PlayStation, the Nintendo 3DS, and rumor has it you could somehow get it onto your phone. Why the hell would you ever do that? I don't know. Uh, this was uh, released in North America originally on the PlayStation October 31st, 2001. And let me tell you, boys. If the if this was definitely a trick and not a trick, I'm sorry, a Nintendo 3DS version <laughs> on September 16th, 2016. This is a single player a JRPG experience, and uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of a lot of story here. Who wants to dive into juicy bits and pieces of story? It's funny. This one has one of the most simple overall stories in the series, but it's all the side stories that make it such a monster of an RPG. Well, here, let's get the overall one out of the way. Real, There is a single island in the world. As you go back in time, you find other islands in the world. You make them better. They've, they appear in the present. And when you've appear, made enough islands appear in the present, oh my goodness, you learn that God and... Um, I forget the name, but it was it was a devil thing. They had a fight. They both got injured. God flew off. The devil thing hit for a while until you've revived enough of the world to wake him up. And then, oh my goodness, you beat him, and he's not really dead. And you have to come. You have to stop him again in the second disc on the original. And uh, there, that's that's the core plot. Yeah, the the overarching story of this is pretty inconsequential. Yeah, and. Um... No, I'm gonna I'm gonna let y'all talk all about before we talk about our criticisms or our love for the story or whatever. So, who wants to go into the details on all the side stories and characters? Oh God, do we want to do all of them? Well, here let's let's do our main cast first. This won't take nearly as long. 
Yeah. We've got the hero. Um, the, the guy who in the official artwork always seems to kind of look befuddled. And he's a Dragon Quest hero because he never says a thing. Yep. And, he gets, and he gets asked a lot of yes or no questions. Well, You've not a deal n- with him. Hmm? With him. They know he's not going to talk much. They just ask the yes or no. Especially Maribel. Maribel just loves to use him as a sounding board for how awesome she is and how terrible he is because she knows he's not going to say anything back. <laughs> Maribel is apparently his best friend. You wouldn't necessarily know that by the way she talks because Maribel – I think if you gave Maribel a smartphone, you would never see her again because she would be constantly posting on Twitter. But that's for the best, I think. Uh, and you've got Kiefer. Kiefer seems to be your best friend. He's the son of the king of the single island in the world. And he leaves in what is it, the fifth or the sixth tour to the past, and he never even gets to participate in the job system. In the original version, I think you get him back in the 3DS version. You do not get him you back may... in the 3DS. Oh, you, I, I could have sworn you got him back. There's a little DLC that you can see him a little bit in the future. Oh, well, his future. Who knows? It's all time travel. But he, he's never a fully playable character in the main story again. I see. Which is a shame because he was kind of a powerhouse at the beginning of the story. Yeah, he was considerably stronger than the hero. But, never mind, he's gone and you never get him back through the whole game. Instead you get, well, he's, he's named Ruff in the 3DS version. I forget what the hell they called him in... Uh, Gabo. Gabo. The, well, he was a wolf, then he became a boy. And he's not... This is something that's fleshed out a little better in the 3DS that his language skills, given that he was a wolf until just yesterday, are not very good. And I believe his story was that he was the last white wolf, and white wolves were destined to fight against the Dark Lord. Yes. And of course that meant you had to take out a boss in order to free him from instant death. Yeah, and my favorite thing about the 3DS version is that he rides around on a wolf the whole game, and the wolf's uh, costumes match whatever class he is. We can get to how nice it is that the 3DS actually represents your class changes visually soon enough. Yeah. We've also got Melvin, the really, really, really old but still quite formidable soldier who fought with God against the devil. You would think that he would have a more heroic name than Melvin. Yes, he's Mervin. You know, that fixed everything. You know, Mervin the hero is... that's top-notch. Oh, yeah, because that makes me think of a department store. That's exactly what you think of when heroics come to mind, right? Uh, and then we've got Aisha? Asha? And the um, PlayStation version, it's Ira. Ira, okay. Yeah, maybe... No, that that seems too smart for the localizers at the time to have not named her Isla because then people would get her confused with Chrono Trigger. Maybe that was just a Kira Toriyama playing a joke on everybody. <laughs> I named another character the same thing. And then we've also got a bunch of the side characters too. A couple of them that show up. Co- I mean, not quite a bit, but enough that they're important. Like B- Borcano, the, your father, who basically says, uh, you, was it was it your you or Marybelle that he wouldn't let on the boat? It was Maribel, and then she slipped on anyway. Okay. You got stuck on the boat because, by gum, your dad is a fisherman, and he's going to learn you how to be a fisherman no matter what you want. He's got to eat his sandwich. Oh, yes, the fish sandwich. 
And then there was your mother, Molly, who protects the house while Borneko is away on fishing trips. And she... I can't remember what else there is to her character, except that she really likes both you and your dad. And, oh gosh, she really doesn't want to have to get into this potential... Actually, it isn't a disagreement, because since you never talk, you don't really have a personality. <laughs> thus, thus is the silent protagonist. And then the other, one of the other major NPC characters is, uh, in the PlayStation version, he was called Hondura, which is um, your uncle, who is just a complete sleazebag, and steals things and you have to there's a couple of side quests where you have to talk to him because he had st- stolen some stuff and you had to get some something back it's okay you just need to wait till he passes out drunk and there you go yeah you they uh they paint him as a pretty despicable character and i think in the ds version they renamed him to pike for some reason you could I have no idea why a number of the people it just seems to be that they were on the pun fest which all the recent Dragon Quest localizations have been. And you know what? Considering the alternative seems to be just blandness, I'm fine with it being a pun fest. Oh, I love the puns. I think that the puns are what brings the charm. What is one of our first bosses? It's the Crabble Rouser. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to call that great writing, but it is fun. And hell, I didn't come up with it. Hey, it's better writing than I could come up with. I'm not good at puns. That's... That's my husband's gig. You're pretty so, deep into the Dragon Quest pun sometimes. They, they there's some that years later I somebody mentions and I get, and I'm like, really? I didn't get that the first time through. I almost feel like I need to look at every name and spend five minutes thinking, what is this a pun of? <laughs> and usually you're right. And let's see. Okay, Dragon Quest Seven goes even further than Dragon Quest Four did with trying to give every area a distinct dialect which is harder to do in text form only than you'd think. Yeah, some of them are so bad that I have to read them aloud just to make any sense of them, particularly the really, really heavy Scottish ones. I was thinking of, unless you're reading that and, you know, you don't understand what's going on. I mean, I I appreciate that it tries to, because, you know, there's a ton of text in these games, and I do appreciate that it gives a lot of it a lot more character, and it, it really... To me, it adds a lot, a lot more importance to the NPCs. Characters too, because if you do party chat or after almost any NPC conversation, your party members talk about what the NPCs just said or have a reaction to it. So, I mean, if you think of the hundreds, if not a thousand NPCs that you come across in these dozens of islands, and then party chat with all the members after that, it's it's tens of thousands of lines of script here. And no wonder it took nearly the entire 3DS cycle to get this game into U.S. Yeah, it sure wasn't for all the... It It does look a lot better on 3DS, but I still can't imagine that this is a particularly huge file. How the hell did it take up two discs on the PS1? I don't know. Um, all that orchestrated music? The discs have the orchestrated music? You, you know, I don't remember now. I know it was pretty high-quality audio. I don't remember it being orchestrated. I, I don't think, that's think, o- it- I think that's only for Dragon Quest VIII. Okay. What I remember, because it was a big deal when Dragon Quest VIII had it. Yeah, because I gather that that was something where they actually improved it for the release over here. 
where the orchestration was not in the Japanese version of Dragon Quest VIII, but we probably shouldn't be talking about Dragon Quest VIII. We're talking about seven. So the over the overarching story of this is that all of the pretty much every island in the game got shot back into the past, and the first area in the game is this huge temple where you run across these um, altars that you have to assemble stone tablets with. And when you assemble the tablets, you go back into the past and find the island in the past, solve a problem, and then the island shows up in the future. And once it shows up in the future, you need to explore it again, where there usually won't be any enemies in the future, although occasionally, because you've got to go find those fragments or else you're not going to find another island. Oh, God. That was the thing that I hated the most about the PlayStation version was feeling like I had to hunt every single nook and cranny in the game in hopes that I didn't miss any fragments at all because, you know, I would just, I would hit a brick wall. Be like, okay, I have no idea where to go or what to do, so I guess I'd better backtrack and start hunting fragments. And I think I, well, no, I know I ended up spending like at least 30 bucks on a guide off off of eBay to help kind of keep track of all of them because at the time there wasn't a really good walkthrough online. Yeah, that was, um, uh, that's that's definitely one of my pet peeves. People, long-time listeners know, I'm all for hidden items and the such until they become required to move on with the main quest because if you miss it, uh, and even with the game kind of giving, the 3DS version kind of giving you hints because it would light up on the lower map when you were in the area with the thing. But I would yes, still yes. occasionally miss that out on an one. improvement. Yeah, I can't even imagine the old one. I would have just broken the disc of the tiny little bits. I would have just... But, but just I know you were playing the, the original for a while, Phil, and you just stopped because it, it was as if the reports I was giving you reduced and sapped your will to keep playing. I can't imagine why that would have happened. Yeah, as if the the two and a half to three hour beginning adventure, we don't actually fight any monsters. You're just working your way through this very long monsterless dungeon with puzzles wasn't enough to, like, you know, make me not want to play anymore. Yeah, pacing in the PlayStation version was not this game's strong point at all. Mm Mm-mm. I remember it, it, it taking me quite a bit of time to get through that initial um, dungeon and being very confused by some of the puzzles. And when you can just kind of zip through that dungeon in the DS version, I was like, oh god, this game has already improved so much just by get, getting through that slog. Because when I, when I boot up a fresh RPG, I unless the story is really compelling, I just want to get right into battle. Well, Dragon Warrior 7 has a surprise for you, Kelly. You're not getting into a battle first thing. Uh-uh. Nope. I think it takes... Uh, I've heard people say five hours. I've heard people say nine hours. I think it took me three or four, and that was... I knew what I was getting into, so I just didn't even bother. I just had a fact open and was looking at it. And that still meant I had to wander back and forth through the stupid... The opening dungeon has no enemies. You're just carrying things around. You have to put the right items into the right positions, and you have to use the the Dragon Quest inventory system, which has been improved for the 3DS one. I remember it being fairly cumbersome when you are constantly having to go back and, oh, man, I, 
I just want to put the helmet on. Why won't? No, no, I didn't want to put the stupid armor on. Stop thinking I wanted to put the stupid armor on and wasting five minutes where I ah. And the and bear in mind that the, the graphics and the PlayStation version were very dated. So not only are you slogging through this dungeon, but this this dungeon looks so bland and so repetitive that even when you're slogging, there isn't even really anything that interesting to look at. I I don't know what you're talking about, Kelly. I remember a whole lot of brown. Brown is easily the most exciting color you can make a dungeon from. Uh, I... Are you kidding? The first time I booted that game up and I saw the in-game graphics, I said I went right on the Twitter and said hashtag Final Fantasy VII Killer. I mean, it just did. It, it just. I mean, you just, you just, you it just, it just blew it away. Blue Square Squares games out of the water. No, Phil, Phil, why would why would you say Seven Killer? It's a Final Fantasy Nine Killer. Oh yeah, yeah. Because this came out near the end of the well, PS One life. Hell, honestly, why even stop there? Final Fantasy Ten Killer. I mean, because you know they didn't have anything on this game. It was just ahead of its time. Well, well, there, there you go, Matt. Uh, you just said you spent a lot of time with Ten. You can testify to how much better Dragon Dragon Warrior Seven looked than Final Fantasy Ten, right? I love Ten. I love Blitzball. I spent maybe as much time in Blitzball as I spent on Dragon Warrior Seven. Um, and yeah, those graphics were horrible comparatively. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was. I, I will. Uh, yeah, this is Jeff is definitely in all seriousness. This is one of those games that I keep talking around the PlayStation era that was just pushing for 3D too early. They would have been much better off had they just made this a 2D game with just much more beautiful pixel art or or, or, or something. I mean, look at the backgrounds in Final Fantasy seven through nine. They they were they were gorgeous. Um, that's probably what they should have done here, something along those lines. Instead, they try to make everything. 3D, including the backgrounds, it ended up being blocky, poorly colored. Uh, it's just, it was just horrible. It looked like a first generation PlayStation One game, a first year PlayStation One game on a mediocre day. Just what? You, didn't you love the way when you rotated the screen around, the the 2D sprites characters would show off their flatness? Yeah, you know, and that's what that was. That's it's the interesting thing. It's kind of a juxtaposition of what we saw in Final Fantasy, where we had two D backgrounds, but we had three D characters. These guys did the opposite, right? And uh, and it was a horrible idea. And and it just no, it was just it was terrible. And it just wasn't done well. I mean, we've seen we've seen it done well in other games later on down the line, but it was just a mess. Just just a mess. It looked like my cat just took a dump on my TV screen and called it an RPG. Oh, that's a bit much. <laughs> oh, I've got a lot of bitterness and hate and exaggerations when it comes to this game. Okay, I don't think we're done with the story yet, so let's see. There's the start of the story. <laughs> Run through some of the islands. I don't even know how many were there were. 18? There's quite a 20? few. Somewhere around 20, I want to say. I, I, mean, I would it, easily say that. If each tablet is an island, let's see. I'm each looking tablet at the, an the, about five tablets for each pedestal, and each pedestal is an island. I do believe there were four rooms in the um, original because it was like green, blue, red, yellow. It all oh yes, yes. Remember that elements. improvement over the original, where you don't have to constantly wander between the four different rooms and pick the right freaking table. You can just talk to the the impy thing, where it just takes the tablets and allows you to put them together without spending ten minutes wandering through the stupid place. <laughs> I just counted there's 18 different pedestals. 
was about to say, I think it's 18, because I think two of the rooms had four, and two of the rooms had five. So, yep, hey, you got a red shard. Exactly right. Great. Um, you had to take this red shard, and it had a different shape, and you had to go to the five different pedestals in the red room and see if you could basically make a puzzle out of any of those shards. So you have all these pieces, and you're turning them and turning them, and you're looking at five different pedestals. And at the beginning of the game, there's almost no pieces on there. So you almost have no reference. It's like, hey, here's a piece to a puzzle. It's one of these five puzzles, and you have puzzles. I'm not going to lie, though. I, I like jigsaw puzzles, so I kind of like that aspect of the I, I, pedestals. I enjoyed it. I will say I use the fact quite frequently. I just use the fact because... I enjoy jigsaw puzzles more when I'm actually putting them together and I'm not limited by, oh, well, you haven't found all of the pieces you need. Well, there's no way you can put the picture together yet. Well, you've never found a jigsaw puzzle piece hours later stuck to your elbow? Not that it I happens. recall. It happens. When I put a jigsaw puzzle together, I usually, I manage to keep it all in the box and I set aside some time and just start putting it together and... Well, just imagine how much less fun a jigsaw, a regular jigsaw puzzle would be if you had to go search through town every time for each new piece. Oh, man, I need, I'm missing a couple of edge pieces. I guess I'll go to Coles and see if there's a jigsaw piece in the men's shoe section. And there might be another jigsaw piece over at the Chevron station. That would be great. Wait a minute, well, what if the piece was at the Chevron station, but a thousand years in the past? Well, then I don't think you're going to be solving your jigsaw puzzle. I don't think there have been any long-term studies on this, but I don't believe that jigsaw puzzles are made out of materials that will last a thousand years. Hey, I have a couple of, th- I have a bunch of plastic 3D puzzles that might last through the apocalypse. Okay, I haven't had any plastic ones, just the wooden. But they're all, they can also be kind of fragile if you drop them, but I digress. Should we go through a couple islands here? Yeah. Um, uh, if you want, I'll start with a couple of them. And we don't have to do all well, of them. Just well, how about, the... how about each one of you do your favorite one? Okay. Pick your favorite. Um, I'll, I'll go first. My favorite one is the one where you find Gabo slash Ruff. Because that, that story really stuck out to me. And, you know, you walk into this town and they're... You know, there's nothing but animals, and there's no people. And you look around, and and you just you try to talk to all the animals, and they're not saying anything. And you go into a barn, and there is a kid chained to the wall. And when you talk to the kid, it even makes references that man, the collar looks awfully tight, and who would chain a kid to a wall? And then you find out that a curse turned all of the humans into animals, and all the animals into humans. And I, th- I think you run across, you also figure this up because you run across an animal that turned into, another animal that turned into a human that told you about this. So you let Gabo free and you take him to the mountain, you beat the bad guy, everybody turns back. Um, I can't remember why, but for some reason Gabo doesn't turn back. And then you go to the future and find out that you basically created furries. Because every year they have a festival where people dress like animals. What's great is when you walk into that town, it looks like it did when you walked in in the past, and you're like, "I thought I fixed this problem." And then they all, then they just take off their costumes and reveal, "Oh, stranger, you've come in the middle of our annual celebration of the animal, whatever it was they called it." 
I, I, that story stuck out to me because I thought it was just a really neat story. And, you know, I had no idea about the characters or anything because I didn't read the manual first. So, you know, running into Gabo and having this wolf kid in your party was just fun. And then the plus new party member, and he's ridiculously strong. So that was my favorite. All right, so I'll talk about my favorite. In the original, it was called Lumen. In the uh, 3DS game, it's definitely got the uh, punniest name of Not Again. <laughs> and uh, it foreshadows what's going on here. You go there in the past, and there's a problem. Um, like always, you take care of it. Everybody's happy. The town's like, yay! And you go to the future, and the island's there, but the town's destroyed. And you're like, wait a minute, I... Is the town not here? Why is it destroyed? Um, so back to the past, and you find out that something else had happened. So you solve that problem, and I think this time it's a big um, vine root, these little tentacles, and you def- oh the hell vine that was it. Um, this was a pretty tough one in the original game, and you defeat it, and hey, again everybody's happy. It's great. Um, you wave goodbye. You head back to the future, and still destroyed um you go back to the past and you find out that one of the townspeople has kept some little pet monster and you i I can't remember if the original had this i believe it is um but i know the remake does you have the townspeople are afraid of this monster that this guy's hat has they want to kill it they want to like frankenstein take care of it they ask you to take care of it um and well, all the townspeople are pushing you to get rid of it. Um, if you do... And there's one guy who's the owner of it, and he's trying his hardest to persuade everybody not to do that. And if you listen to the townspeople and kill it, um, you go back to the future and you find out that the town has become permanently destroyed, um, taken over by certain monster destroyed or something. Whereas if you let the monster live saved and i want to say there's even like a statue to him or something the little monster because that little monster so yeah the name not again deals with the how many times you have to go forward and backward in time with this one town but that that was my favorite one even though it was a little repetitive um going back and forth was a different story every time unlike other stuff it's nice that they kind of took the formula and threw it on its head yeah, I mean, you expected to solve the problem the first time because at this point you've gone through about a dozen um, other towns and islands, and you're like, okay, solve the problem in the past, get a couple shards, go to the future, talk to everybody, get another shard, and boom, on to the next one. What about you, Mr. Minky? I'm trying to remember the name of it, but it's fairly late in the proceedings where, let's see, you are dealing with a kingdom that has a monarch who is just... Uh, obsessed with trying to conjure up a demon, I think was it, where you see a flashback of him failing to protect his friend when he was a little boy, and his parents have just lost the ability to do anything with him, even though they should still be the monarchs, but they're he's just taken over everything. And what do you know, his single-minded quest for vengeance doesn't go very well. And of course, now you got to try and research what the hell the name of it was, but there are too many... De- Would you believe that when you're going into the ocean, you have to go to the high and dry tower? (laughs) Yeah, there's just many places and I can't. But surely this vague scenario sounds familiar to people who have gotten that far, right? It is not ringing a bell to me at all. Okay. 
FAQ here, and I'm, I'm I'm trying to pinpoint the town you're talking about. Fucking him, no, it's further than that. Mock the ultimate magic or something to... Uh, was it Astard? No, no. Astard's your town. Actually, yeah, that's your, that's your home okay. castle. Her and his dad, Donald, live there. I, I gotta do some research, but that's the one I remember right now. I think everyone can give a special negative commendation to a certain Dharma slash All Trades Abbey just for the wonderful tricket poles, right? So, see, Phil we're remembers supposed it. Talk, we're supposed to be talking about our favorite ones. I feel like I should save that <laughs> for later on for why I'm probably this this the dissenting voice in this group for this game, uh, and I want to use that as supporting evidence. But as far as like the, you know, some I I did enjoy like the volcano. Uh, and I'm terrible with names, so forgive me. But it's one of the first ones that you do, where you actually, either... yeah, the, it, it's the second one after Emberdale. It, it, yeah, after yeah, after that yes. first one that you do. Yeah, that second one with the volcano and everyone kind of worshiping and uh, doing their volcano thing and and just being part of those proceedings, and then you're having to investigate inside of the volcano uh, was was just super fun, and it reminded me, you know, kind of set up this quantum leap vibe. Right, if you ever watched that old show way back in the day, the guy who would leap from one body to another in the past, uh, just kind of the fact that you saw this town currently, you could see it currently, and then you could go back to the past, and it was just, it was just a cool vibe. And then once you fixed it and you went back, it's like, oh, it's a, it's a much nicer place now. So I, I don't know. I thought that was a cool vibe and a setup for the rest of the game. You know, some positive possibility, uh, let's say. Um, yeah, yeah. So it did happen when I got through the first couple of quests. There, I was pretty pretty psyched for the for for the rest of the game. It didn't last, you know, eighty five hours, but the first dozen <laughs> hours were great. Uh, it was really really awesome. So, all right. So let's talk about. We talked about the story. We talked about some stories. We talked about characters. Uh, you know, going back to let's wrap up graphics really quick. We talked about how well, the PlayStation. We can go to the end where. There is a little bit more that happens in the conclusion. There's a there's a new religion you, you that suddenly told us the up. end. You told us that they forgot and devil fought and stuff. Yeah, and then I said that you beat the devil, and then it, this is your false dawn, followed by the rise of a new religion. Or actually, they're they're worshiping God, but it, the devil the devil is masquerading as God, and he's fooled. And he has a big church built on an island, and you eventually have to go fight the four elemental bosses in order to gain the power to stop him for good. And of course, once you fight him for real, well, he only had two forms when you fought him the first time. Now he's got four forms. Because that's how it always worked. Oh yeah, that fight taking me a good chunk of time to wear him down. Well, he is the devil, so you kind of have to expect that he will not be terribly easy to take down. No, no, you're right. He has a his name. I his name in the original was Orgodemir. Orgodemir. Um, yes, yes. I, I forgot that, but now that you mentioned it, yeah, Orgodemir. Same in the. Oh dear, looking forward, I see that you fight a boss named Macho Pichu. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's got a lot of. Oh, that's the uh, um, volcano that Phil was talking about. If I'm not mistaken, Indonesian head. If that's the one I'm thinking of. 
Yeah, that fourth and final form has uh, 4,500 hit points. Uh, that was quite a damage sponge. Um, though, you know, as much as we're taking a dump on the in-game graphics, I gotta say, I did love the the um, battle graphics and how beautifully animated all the sprites were. I'll agree with that. Like, when I was playing the PlayStation 1, I mean, that was kind of the cool thing coming from, like, an older Dragon Quest game. I think at the time I had only played up through 4. And you got to see, you know, animations on the monsters. That was pretty cool. And in a, the animations weren't like Pokemon animations either. Mm-hmm. It was just like they flipped the sprites. They, they, they had, um, like, the slimes actually have a bounce animation that really has the squash and stretch of a cartoon for when they bounce. And I, I and really love that. themselves those. right at the screen. Yeah. Yeah, it was, it, that was, that was, that was the one, that was definitely a pleasant thing. And, and, and 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 it definitely brought a charm that you didn't get in like a Final Fantasy VII, where they were in their combat. Of course, it was you know 3D and and way more detailed. And of course, friends would come over and just watch the summons in those games um, because they were so cool. But with Dragon Quest, they were definitely it felt like you were almost playing a, a cartoon. Those those monsters were just so well animated. And you could even go into, and you could even go into the bestiary and watch all the animations too, which was awesome. Yeah, you could flip through the pages, and yeah, you could even, uh, you press buttons and they would do their attack animation, or their spells, or whatever they could do, you could screw those. It, it honestly makes me wonder if most of the graphics budget went into those animations, which is why the game worlds themselves were kind of lacking. What, don't you, don't you think that the, were there three or four FMVs in the game on a whole? All of them looking like something that could have come off of... I don't know, uh, a 3DO game. Yeah, those... Or claymation. Uh, those <laughs> animated cutscenes. Oh, animated claymation. That's really what it looked like. I think the first one is... Celebrity Deathmatch looked better than these. <laughs> the guy, the Tula player, playing that and raising the water in the Deja region originally. That one, wow. Wow. You looked at that and you wondered why is Kiefer giving up a life of adventuring to stay with this girl when she looks like that? She must have been a demon in the bedroom. <laughs> she was nothing but a puppet outside of it. Yeah, she 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 didn't look like she had a soul even. She looked frightening. <laughs> but and they improved the graphics like a hundredfold in the 3DS version. Yes. The the game was pretty much rebuilt from the ground up with um, 3D models. And, you know, the, the kind of chibified 3DS 3D models that you're kind of used to from seeing like a Bravely Default. But it was certainly an improvement, and it definitely worked on the tiny 3DS screen. Yeah, it looked, it looked as well as any other 3DS game could be expected. Yeah, definitely the the world was an upgrade from the PlayStation One version, and and I still enjoyed the the combat. I didn't actually, you know, because I played it years the 3DS one years later. I, I haven't really compared them side by side as far as combat goes to see if one looked better than the other. I think I enjoyed both of their combats though. I mean, it's classic Dragon Quest combat. Yeah, there's a, there's really nothing new to it except the 3DS version got rid of random battles, and you could actually no. see. But I mean the, the graphics. I mean, I'm talking specifically about the combat graphics. Do y'all remember any very, you know, major variances between the combat graphics between the two of them? Um, it, they ditched the sprites for the 3D models. Really? And they're 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 pretty they're pretty good looking 3D models actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean that 
Sorry. They're not at the level of Dragon Quest VIII, but they they still they moved. They had very nice animation. They had a lot of frames. Everything looked very smooth. Did you see your characters when you were battling in the uh, 3DS version? Not when you're battling, just when you're moving around in the world map. Yeah. Though even there, it's nice to actually see... Well, you saw them in the PS1, but here, they actually have a new appearance for each job. Isn't that neat? Mm-hmm. And yes, the the job system. Yeah, because that's our major wrinkle in the Dragon Quest uh, combat engine. And I think before we can talk about the job system, we should probably mention that you don't get it for a while. Oh, you, oh do you not get it for a while? And when you do get and when you do get it, it comes after a colossal tease. Why, Phil, would you like uh, to tell us about the colossal tease? Uh, it's 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 just exhibit it's just exhibit A. So yeah, you 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 so I mean I played Dragon Quest, what was it, two or three that has class changes that first introduced that idea? Was it three? I think it was three, yes. I feel like it was three, yeah. And and you had to find all trades, Albi. And that's kind of been a thing. Like any of these Dragon Quest games that have a class change, you think you're looking for all trades, Abby. And I knew that was a part of this game. And I knew this game was a slower burn than some of the other ones. So I had patience. Uh, but gosh darn it, I, by the time I finally made it to all trades, uh, I, I felt like there's been Dragon Quest games I've already knocked out from beginning to end by the time I got there. Then you get there and you have to work your way through talking to some people and working your way around and... I don't remember the details, but I remember at, at some point, I think I had to do some quests for them. And then I come back and the the guy is like, nah, you know, it's really great that you guys believe me and all, but I'm really evil. Ha 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 ha. And now you're trapped, stupid heroes. And I'm going to put this. Now I've not only not given you jobs, but I've taken away those few abilities you learn naturally. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've taken away what few, yeah, what few abilities you got, and I'm going to dump you into this hole, which takes you to an entirely different town where it has a huge, it has its own big story that you've got to work your way through and talk it to the right NPCs to make events trigger. And then that's followed up by dungeons where, as we pointed out, I, I can't remember where I got some of my abilities back, but I think I was pretty limited through that entire thing. Um, it it was horrible. It was so long. And I think it took me like three to five hours, something like that, before you finally it got takes through. A while. Oh my gosh, yes. And then you finally get and, back. And then you have a couple of bosses that you have to take on without your abilities. You get this one healing rod, for crying out loud, and that's like your sore source of like keeping your party members going. Uh, it was just horrible, and it was just so yeah, tedious. And yeah, I mean, I already complained that that, that basic And then you jail... go back up there, and it's rioting, and there are a whole bunch of enemies that can sometimes avoid and sometimes not because they're just going to get up in your face before you can finally take on the evil guy who took your abilities away. I feel bad for playing this on Dragon for y'all who played it on the PlayStation, because I didn't get this far on the PlayStation, but where you just had random encounters just pop up on you. Here you could avoid the enemies most of, some of the time, but yeah, there were so many of these dungeons with skinny hallways. Uh, you weren't, you weren't escaping, or the enemies would just move faster than you. It doesn't do any good if I could see enemies on the map if they're going to get me anyways. So, yeah, it was just... And I just wanted to be done. And every time I thought I was, like, done with this floor of the dungeon, there's another floor of the dungeon. Oh, then I finally get out of the caves. But then there's another temple you got to go into. And it just was one thing after another. 
And I just wanted my beeping classes. And one of the things that was ticking me off was me thinking, uh, and I think it's true, but I, you don't really accrue any job points because you don't have any jobs yet. So I'm, I'm doing all these random encounters and I'm thinking to myself, you know, one of the things about grinding is the, the, the motivations when you're grinding is that you're working your way towards whether it's leveling up or in this game, it should be all of your different jobs. You should be getting job points for your job class systems. But all I kept thinking was here's five hours of my life. I'm never going to get back again and not, not even earning a single job point to all of these, you know, job classes that I'm going to want to unlock. It was just horrid and it just made me unhappy. Well, to to be fair, the job unlocks in this game are based off of number of battles fought, not necessarily any experience. Or... Well, I know, but think about all those battles I went through. I could have, I could have gotten all. That's what I was saying. Job points. That's what I was thinking of. Like it's yeah, you get like just based on how many battles you fought. It's one per battle. But I was just, I had the, I had this all graphed out because I had looked up on FAQ what the jobs were going to be. I had my plans for who was going to go to what class and do all of this stuff. And all I kept thinking of myself was it was battle after battle after battle. And I wasn't earning a single job point for any of it. It was less like evil. I think I finally started earning job points. What was it? 27 hours into the game? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean. can believe that. It's about that far. Yeah. When I was playing, I felt like I was making decent enough progression. And, you know, I, I would be finishing up an island and I would see how many stars I had towards my jobs. And I would go ahead and try to, like, grind out whatever stars I had to finish to complete that. Because I knew that once I got to the um, present that there wasn't going to be any monster fights. And then later, Anna, who was playing the same game, told me, no, don't waste your time like that. Because late, like, really late in the game, the present has uh, fights. And I kind of wish that I would have known that ahead of time because then I probably wouldn't have wasted as much time doing the, you know, grinding out the random battles and getting the job points. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I mean, to be fair, I felt somewhat rewarded when I was doing that because, you know, I felt like I was a little bit ahead of the curve so that I could, you know, make my way towards getting the um, master master classes. Yeah. Yeah. That's the whole point. It's, it's you, you grind you. And if you, I, I, if I know that I'm earning points towards something like unlocking master classes, I'll take my time. I'll trigger extra random encounters instead because I knew I wasn't earning them. I was just trying to rush through it to get to the classes, but it felt like the game was throwing the kitchen sink at me to prevent me from having fun. It was well, like, it oh, was. <laughs> it was. It was doing that, Phil. <laughs> you got to remember, you have to work for those jobs. <laughs> you do. Holy shiz. It, when it... Like, I don't know. I, I just, I felt like they could have thrown a dog a bone, like start you off at some base classes so that you, at least you were, you know, ranking out on those, you know, through this. I don't know. There had to have been some other way for them to tell the story apart from the job class system, you know, if, if you think it's a good story. And there was some interest to it, but I didn't care because all I wanted was my damn classes. Yeah, I, I believe that the number one rub with this game is its pacing issues. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that kind of wraps up my whole gripe and why I got about, I think I, as I kept playing on After All Trades for quite a while, I think I got 40 or sub hours and maybe one day I'll go back to it. But I think that that encapsulates my 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 problem with this. I love Dragon Quest games. I love the early Dragon Quest games. And I've said before, Dragon Quest games are about the side stories. They're not about the overarching plot for the most part, right? Four is a grand example of that, but... It, it, you know, it, with four, when I was playing that on 3DS, I was revisiting it to see if I still liked it or not. Um, 
I really did like those side stories. But here's what's really cool. And it's the same thing you have with Octopath Traveler. When they were developing Octopath Traveler, they're developing it for the person who plays in bite size. That's why a lot of the dungeons are straightforward and they can be completed in a short amount of time. And, you know, each story is a standalone kind of story for each of the characters. It doesn't go that deep. Uh, Dragon Quest, it really, Dragon Quest Four. Five, you know, and the such. I don't want to talk about six. Uh, you know, does itself well for for somebody who's playing it on the go. It's a great fit for for the DS and those types of gaming sessions. But then when you get into seven, the side stories are as long as some of the shorter RPGs I played in my day. Like they are really long and deep and detailed. And when you're just playing in short spurts here and there, it's easy to lose track where you're at. It's easy to lose interest. Uh, and, and it didn't help that to me, these NPCs start all looking the same, like they, they, they're recycling sprites and the such. And it was hard for me to remember who did what, when you add in past people go into the future and the past, and there's different places in the past you'll go to. I shouldn't say the future. I think it's all in the past, but you know, you're going basically from this deep past to the future, which is kind of in the middle past, if that makes sense. But there was like that one story. I totally forget it because I just couldn't keep track of it anymore where you did certain things that the town in this this decade, and then like a generation later, there were other things that happened, and then you'd go back, and it was going deep down that whole time travel rabbit hole. And and since it was just a side story, it was just... It, it, these went from being bite-sized, fun little stories to these deep experiences that you really had to pay attention to to get, you know, what you wanted out of them, and they were just the side stories. Between... <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry, did, does anyone know why this particular game was as bad as it was? A bullet point on the back of the box saying, over 100 hours of unparalleled adventure. <laughs> I just... End of the PlayStation cycle, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It did, and maybe because this is the only dra- mainline Dragon Quest game that came out on PlayStation, whereas there were two on Super Famicom and four on the NES... Maybe the developers just decided to cram every possible thing into it instead of leaving something for another mainline game that wouldn't come along for years afterwards. That I don't ever know for sure. It's just interesting because you hear about you know games being really tough because they're trying to combat the rental market or what have you. So I was curious if there was some trend going on in the early two thousands that explained why this game was. So astronomical. Well, we know that the rental market is not a thing in Japan. No, it's not. And that's where the Dragon Quest mass sales are, Japan. So I think it's something different here. I guess... It it wasn't developed for us. Yeah. (laughs) The North Korea. Yeah. Yeah, I I guess Dragon Quest fans aren't happy unless they have triple-digit playtimes. And, and, I mean, if you have a really compelling you know, experience that can justify it. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, it may not be for me, but I feel a little bit more understanding of it. But um, I think the other thing was just the lack of any sort of character uh, development, which after playing five, uh, and we won't talk about six, um, but after, you know, playing five, you know, four didn't have a whole lot of character development. It kind of dropped the ball, but that was an NES game. So there was like, okay, I get it. Uh, five was a huge step forward. Wait, four? Four had... Four had more character development than some games in the NES era. Yeah, really. I mean, I just felt like it did such a great job of introducing the characters and setting up those those expectations, like setting okay, up... Okay, yeah, because once you get into the, the, into the hero section, then they 
you pretty much don't have anything else to say. Yeah, yeah, and and Seven kind of almost does that. It kind of introduces the characters, and, and y'all mentioned earlier, you can at least get their thoughts on what's going on, so that's cute. But there's nothing else, uh, uh, you know, aside from that, and, except and for Kemper. And that's also something which was improved for 3DS. I remember using that functional time, you would get, oh, Maribel is lost in thought. Oh, Gabo is lost in thought. Wow, that was that was a great use of the party chat option. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't always have a thought about every single thing that every NPC said. You know, sometimes they just were emulating the hero and just nodding along. Uh, I hardly ever used the party chat option. I used a fair amount in on 3DS because a the localization was stronger, and b it actually produced things. Usually, it was Maribel saying something like, "Oh my goodness, aren't you?" That was such a disgusting heap. Why do you? Why do I let you go to the drag me along to such horrible places? You deserve every bit of scorn I'm going to give you. Something like that. But it, it gives her more of a character than the Maribel thought that you've just gotten for the two hundredth time. <laughs> he usually made comments about the uh, male character googling the uh, bunny girls, or the uh, one time you're in a bath or in a the volcano had a steam something like that, and she was getting mad at Kiefer for looking at the women bathing or whatever, but yeah, she she, it was, she was mainly uh, very combative. That What's that uh, Japanese term, the sundry? or Sundare. Oh, there we go. Yes, she is definitely that. Mm. Um, so, and then my, my other gripe was just, uh, which only slowed down the game even more, was occasionally missing a key item or puzzle piece or whatever, and then having to pour over the FAQ and try to figure out what the hell I missed. And and, and let, do not be fooled, boys and girls. We keep saying the word islands as if this game's somehow small in its square footage or no. mileage and whatever have you. But no, 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 you do not understand the depths. Like, this game is huge. I mean, just still, huge. I thought you loved it when you miss a key item and you need to go back and look for every possible location you've been to in the game. Oh, man, you know how much it I love doing... It the gameplay. It does. It just, all of a sudden, that, that bullet point in the back went from 100 to 150 hours. Uh, I just absolutely adore that. And again, kudos to those people who are playing on final, or, you know, playing on the PlayStation 1. And double kudos if you manage to get through this without an FAQ at the same time. I was using an FAQ because I just wasn't going to put up with it. And I still got lost on the occasion or missed something on the occasion. I had to keep going back through the FAQ and go through it carefully to say, wait a minute, what did I, what, oh, in this paragraph here, oh, there was a puzzle piece on the south of that island? Oh my God, I didn't even think to look there. And somehow I missed it in FAQ. I, I will say one thing that I do like about the big world in this game is that as the island, or as the islands start coming together, again, you're sent to places in the future that were, are next to places in the past that haven't been uh, revived yet, and it kind of it's nice that it kind of ties things together like that. Oh yeah, lots of love and attention put into a, to to a lot of the the details, and and and, and obviously for them just to keep track of all of this. I mean, just imagine all the notes they had to have just to keep track of all these key items and pieces and make sure it all makes sense and weave it into the story and make sure they're in the right places so that, you know, it all falls into place and doesn't, you know, ever block you, uh, assuming you find them all, of course, but uh, that everything's actually there. I mean, holy cow, that that must have been something else. Or it must have been one hell of a thing to play test, too. I mean, really, the, the, 
the main character of this game is the world itself, not the necessarily the people that you play with, because it does feel like kind of a living, breathing world. The world definitely undergoes a change throughout it. I mean, you're starting off as an island, which is tiny, and yeah, you're right. The islands are gigantic that you keep adding. You're adding continents, not necessarily tiny little specks of land. And it's great Especially that even the attention... In the dungeons. Each one of these has a dungeon or two. So, yeah, you're exploring every nook and cranny for the uh, shards, and then you're going and, oh, well, now i got to go through that dungeon again that I just did in the past, but now I need to do in the future, and look at all the different treasure chests again. That about the attention to detail, what would be great is, and when the islands appeared, you'd go back and talk to NPCs in the future you know, you already dealt with five islands ago, and they'd be like, hey, a new island just appeared to our north. We're all going to get together on a boat and go visit them. We hear those hot springs there. Yeah, uh, I had That's something right on the tip of my tongue. I, I thought that it was... about the plot, that apparently the islands just suddenly appear in the future. They weren't constantly there ever since you saved them in the past. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure how that works. Uh, Back to the Future rules. Uh, like, I, I mean, I don't like how Marty fades out. I don't know. Magic explains everything, Mike. Magic. A, a wizard did it. Uh, that's, uh, definitely, that's usually true, yeah. Also, I was looking through the classes, and I... Yeah, you can change in various monster classes. One of them is the Jawtoys. Not a Tortoise, a Jawtoys. And its levels are this. Rank 1, Shellementary. Rank two, Shaliable. Rank three, Excellent. Rank four, Celebrity. Rank five, Shell Razor. Rank six, One Shell of a Guy. <laughs> rank seven, Best Sheller. And rank eight, Excelsior. Just in case you were worried that they left the puns out, no way, Jose. Yeah, it's pretty funny. There's dozens of monsters, too, and they all are like that. I mean, I just wonder how drunk did some of these people get when they just sat around a table and like, all right, we're up to this monster. What the heck can we do with this? And and think about all the puns that we're not – you know, these are localizers having to localize some of these puns. Imagine a, a, a bunch of the Japanese ones that we're not getting that are funny. Well, we'll never get them because you'd have to be fluent in Japanese funny no but my husband speaks japanese and when he explains certain puns to me i do find them hilarious but they have to be explained first i remember somebody i was speaking to a couple of danish people once they were laughing at something they explained to me what they were laughing at and it lost the humor in translation sometimes this stuff doesn't translate but i mean i i for all this game's faults, I did love the reward cycle of you discover a new area, you go solve the problem, you go to the future. And for me, it was like, oh, I can't wait to see exactly how this plays out in the future. And in the case of that one where, you know, you go to the future and the town is destroyed and you're like, what the hell? You know, it kind of turned a little bit of it on its head, and a, a couple of them were like that. Like the um, the island where it was pretty much a love a love square between the herb the herb garden guy and a princess, or not a princess, and a noble woman and um, some other woman. And the guy the the story ends with the guy leaving the town, and you go to the future and you find that the town that he left pretty much just kind of died out. But he started a, a place in uh, the future that grows is famous for its herb growth. 
and um, a yeah. lot of the details in the towns like that are what I found to be the most rewarding about this game, just despite its flaws and pacing issues. About unrequited love. Oh, okay. Okay, I remember another memorable. The you have to go inside of the clock tower in order to unfreeze the whole time. Something has frozen time in the place. Yes, the Star Trek time loop. Yep. Or Groundhog Day. Yep, that was all the fault of some evil thing that possessed a clock tower. And we didn't even talk about the multitude of towns that you run into that have been affected by the gray rain that turned everybody to stone. And at some point you get a uh, crystal vial that has droplets that let you cure the gray rain. And you have to, you know, you find this very early in the game. And then later on you find another town that was affected by the gray, gray rain. So you have to go to the highest point to, you know, throw the vial in the air to basically make it rain and cure everybody. The PlayStation one, I think the 3DS had it. It's where it is, too. It's like the third island, I believe. And, uh, yeah, you find the island, everybody's turned to stone, and you end up curing them. But they've been out in the weather so long that very few people actually revive. Their statues have been worn down. But then when you go back in the future, there's pretty much no town there. That becomes the immigrant town, and that's a whole other game feature that, uh, you can get lost in finding immigrants and building up a town, which ends up, you know, later and other great prizes and armors and weapons. Uh, unfortunately, I never did anything with the immigrant town and the and immigrant town in the PlayStation version and the 3DS version. I did a little bit, but by that point, nobody really because it, it tied into Street Pass and nobody really had their their DSs with them for Street Pass like they did before. I spent probably 30 to 40 hours in the PlayStation version doing this. And I know Phil's going to yell at me for doing that. But um, I actually made, back in the day, you had to trade immigrants with somebody who had a save on a different um, PlayStation memory card. And, you know, how many people are out there playing Dragon Warrior 7? So I actually started a second game, got through the third island, and then made multiple copies of that save. And so I could just trade with myself. Because at the you end did of the game... What? I did. I spent 40 hours easily. Because at the end of the game, there's like five different variations of the final town. And every different variation has better equipment or the best casino if you get a bunch of thugs in your town you end up turning it like into vegas or if you end up getting a bunch of farmers in your town you ended up it's like a farm so i i spent i I think i spent about 200 hours on my main save on the playstation version and a good 40 on the alternate one that i had that i would go around and at the time to find these immigrants, you'd have to like walk off a screen, walk on a screen. Hey, are they there? No, they're not. Walk off a screen, walk on a screen. Because they were on set locations and set ones at set locations. So the 3DS did that. I saved 40 hours right there. I didn't do much with the immigrant town on 3DS, but I did do something with the monster town, mostly because uh, that opens up some unique. They're not, they're not particularly great dungeons the 3DS version, but they're neat and they're really good for quick job level grinding because they tend to have much higher levels for job levels than you would get on whatever section of the world map you're currently Way accessible. Better. Actually have no level. You could go in there if you bought, if you made a tablet, you had to make a tablet or make a dungeon or something like that by throwing stuff together, I believe in the 3DS, and you could go into one populated by slimes. You could be level 70 
and just pound away at slimes and get job levels off of that. Which is incredibly helpful because that's something we didn't talk about, did we? That if you are fighting against enemies that are below the level the game says earn you anything, then you won't get any job points. Yes, the game had anti-grinding measures in there and that if you out-leveled an area, you pretty much couldn't get any experience either. Yeah, which which is again one of those little frustrations because it's not like so like let's say the job class system in Final Fantasy V where you could see clearly how many job points you got at the end and if there was diminishing returns that was clearly displayed to you. No, no, no. This was kind of underneath the the hood. There wasn't like a big thing that came say you got a job point. I think you could. Was it you in had the to 3DS version? People at All Trades Abbey, or yeah, you that, could see that was the only way to yeah. know exactly how many. Jeez. Yeah, because uh, so there was not even a quick way for you to check to see if you got something for that last battle or not. Now, if you're so, you can uh, either go there and check, or you can fight. I don't know, fifteen, twenty battles or so. At which point, somebody ought to have gained a job class somewhere, right? Right, right. See, at this time, uh, iPhone apps were a thing, and I had basically an iPod Touch, so I downloaded a counter app, and after every fight, just took a tally. Back in the day. <laughs> Wow, yeah. I only use my iPhone counter for uh, counting how many shrimp I eat at Red Lobster. I think I think one of the things about the 3DS version, though, was if you were doing one of those monster world thingies, that all yep. the battles counted, no matter what level they were. They did, and they do. So and that that's was another reason cute. you might want to go for them, because... If you go for them, then you don't have to worry about the stupid job levels. Yeah, because if you're looking at FAQs like I was, it'll the, you know the good ones will definitely tell you what levels you know you 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 have to be at in order to earn job points. You know, with those monsters there, so they'll give you that guidance. But outside of that, eh, yeah, that's what you get. And we didn't even really talk about a lot of the job classes in this game. Tiers yeah, of them, and they're quite the varied. Yeah, I, I appreciate the fact that, you know, leveling certain, you know, you level two jobs and then you can level an advanced version that's basically a combination of those two jobs that makes sense, like warrior and priest, and you can get a paladin. So, yeah, you put a couple, of, and then you can put a couple of the advanced classes together, and you can make a master class, which naturally has some pretty damn useful abilities, but you should probably either just get set for a whole lot of job grinding or know exactly what you're going to do to minimize the time you're spending. You, you will take, you will need a lot of time to do it. There's no getting around that. Yeah. It, it behooves you to look up a guide and figure out where you want to be at, at the end of the game and start working on those uh, classes, class masteries. The second that you unlock all trades, Abby, because uh, I mean, you're talking about thousands of battles to get to that point. And <clears throat> my final party on the 3DS version was two heroes and two archdroids. Oh, and use the, the monster class? <clears throat> no, I hardly ever use the monster classes, mainly because I just really don't find them that useful. Oh, and this is kind of important, that you've had Maribel the whole game, and then near the end, she has a family crisis just to for a while so this character that you have probably spent thousands of battles and now have many jobs mastered and she's incredibly useful and a vital part of your lineup she's just suddenly gone that's that's 
not supreme. I think that's why I was confused of why I thought Kiefer came back or something, because I thought that... Well, yeah, you can get her back at the very end of the game, which I did, because even after I spent some time with Ira, Ira comes to you with one job mastered and a couple of abilities learned in another, which is entirely inadequate for that point in the game. So yeah. I had to go spend some time with her. Yeah, Ira, I it's like no, you're not useful at all. You're going, you're going into the caravan or whatever. Cause... You can't. You only have four characters at that point. You have to use her. Oh right. I mean, as soon as I mean, as soon as I got Maribel back, you can go talk to Maribel on the island and be like, "Oh, do you want me to come?" And then um, Ira will stay and take care of Maribel's dad or whatever the family crisis was that uh, caused her to ditch out for a while. Yeah, I, I noticed when I looked at my save just then that there was a significant level difference between her and the rest of my people because of her little absence. But levels honestly don't matter nearly as much as what you've learned your jobs. Yeah, yeah, and the the hero class and the arch druid class is pretty insane. One is, is it the champion that they had in the 3ds? Was that the name of it? That's even higher or. I don't think so. I think for me, it was Hero that I managed to master completely. Job class system changed between the PlayStation version and the 3DS. In the PlayStation version, every skill and every spell you learned, you had access to forever. Yeah, and they kind of they kind of dumped that for the 3DS version because I don't well, think they liked how well, Sammy it made everybody. Here you get to keep all the basic class skills and all the monsters, but your advanced classes, unless you're in that class, then you don't get to have whatever abilities are exclusive to it. Stinks, because when you've got your healer who's got the, you know, heal all or whatever the best spell is or multi-heal and stuff like that, omni-heal, and then you like, well, I need to level up another basic class to have access to, you know, your highest tier, all of a sudden you lose access to that spell. But yeah, in the 3DS version, they did give anything you learned in a monster class was permanently learned, so it kind of gave a little bit more reason to maybe experiment with the monster classes. I think in the uh, original PlayStation, even with 200 hours in, I didn't use anything but probably that exact turtle that you were talking about, Mike, because (laughs) I think at his second level, you learned the... uh, increased spell where everybody's defense went up. The reason I found tons of those monster hearts sitting around, or they were in the lucky panel match game in the PlayStation game, and I made everybody a turtle for a while <laughs> and just ground until we all learned that spell, and then it was like, okay. But um, in the, the monster classes actually go up just like the human classes do, and you can build. Even if you don't find, say, an archdemon heart, you can still, hey, if you mastered this monster and this monster, you could become the Archdemon class or something like that. Yeah, I'm looking through all the options. I had forgotten. And, of course, I had also forgotten that there is the Malevolantern. Any things for us for that? Well, we're dealing with a Dragon Quest game localized in, re- in recent years. You're going to get the puns. They're... Yes, and what are what is the Malevolantern's class structure? It goes from the Broken Lamp to the Dirty Lamp to the Lead Lamp to the Iron Lamp to a Steel Lamp, a Bronze Lamp, a Silver Lamp, and a Golden Lamp. That's, that scene, they phoned that one in. Yeah, but it's still more effort than you would get from some other. 
All right. Well, how about how about the Barbatos? I can't even remember what it is, but its its levels are Blabatos, Nebatos, Sparbatos, Scarbatos, Garbatos, Warbatos, Sarbatos, and Starbatos. <laughs> and he's got like the hairy legs and the body of a ox or something on the bottom, and just big muscular guy on top. That that sounds familiar. The instant I saw the not so macho listing, I remembered that they're the the super flabby guys that just like to swing a club at you, and they're they're bright yellow. That's right. They have some sort of weapon, either a club, and you know, the, being a Dragon Quest game, there are recolors. You're gonna yeah. have some reskins of monsters throughout it. So, uh, not so macho probably has his uh, super macho brother somewhere later that's bright green or something. I think it was purple, but uh, I wouldn't swear to that. But it. I know there was a recolor. Well, maybe when I'm in my nursing home and have, you know, nothing but time on my hands, I might do a replay of this game and try out some of the monster classes. I just, when I looked at kind of what they offered, nothing really appealed to me, so I just figured I'd go for tried and true fantasy classes. It It is kind of funny in the 3DS version to switch to them and suddenly the character becomes the monster on the world map. I, I didn't realize it worked like that. Yes, we didn't. You hinted at it earlier. Um, you mentioned it that you got your characters play dress up. Every character has twenty different human class sprites. The one of the best is if you're the uh, is it the summoner or the farmer. There's one like that. Oh, the shepherd. Yes, you so you're wearing a robe. Y- yes, and Gabo's running around on a wolf dressed like a sheep. Is he's the wolf dressed as the sheep? Which that, is that adorable. If you if you join a monster class when you're watching your characters walking around on the uh you're a monster. They're that monster. Huh, yeah, you, I did you, not know you that. Have, you have become a walking corpse and now you've got a walking fall in your team. And I had to look up one last monster, Mike, since you brought all these up. Um my avatar on pretty much everything and where I got my uh Platinum three handle is from the Platinum King juice in uh the Dragon Quest games. And uh they start and they're basically just a big diamond wearing a little crown. And uh he starts out as a diamond in the rough. <laughs> then he is in a shine. He is glistening gently, nicely, sparkling brightly, getting blindingly beautiful, polished to perfection, and finally outshining the stars. That one was not phoning it in. Yeah, I need uh, to do these monster classes like my next playthrough just so I can laugh at a lot of these puns. What you need to do is look at it, get an FAQ. There, there's visual ones out there that shows all the monster classes, and they have skill tree. They have trees just like the human ones. Like, well, if I want to get up to this monster, I can and move my way up. Cute. I focus that on more on the 3DS because I never did them very much in the. Uh, Hundred hours, and I think the only one I did was the Platinum King Jewel because I want to say it was a prize for getting all the mini medals or a big casino prize at the end of the original game. Okay, now looking through here, I see that there, yeah, the, I remember this being a potential that you can go to uh, a couple of extra dungeons after you've beaten the game. Did either of you do that? I did not. I I was. I was ready to be done by the time I finally beat Orgo Demir. Yeah, after after about a hundred hours, I was ready to be done. Very interesting. They're nothing new. Um, can't remember the 3DS as much as I do the PlayStation with all those hours I put in. But basically, you would be going through this dungeon that was a mashup 
of just other parts. Like, oh, here I am on part of the volcano from the first island. And you'd go to the end of it, and suddenly you'd be in, oh, here I am in the... In the... Where it was the the bonus dungeon of just other dungeons with harder enemies. Wow. So much effort. God. And yeah, you get to fight God. Oh, I'm sorry, the Almighty. Almighty. In the original. He appears to have been changed to the Almighty for 3DS. Yeah, we the don't want to offend. Games, they named him Newman. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Newman. <laughs> <laughs> Once you started getting to the DS with like Joker 1 and Joker 2, you didn't want to say God. And obviously we didn't say God in the 3DS. No. And apparently, yes, yeah, so apparently you have to beat him in under 20 turns in order to get the last. You have to beat him thrice beat it to get the last three pieces so that you can unlock the real final dungeon after you beat God, there's another Or is that only in 3DS? There was two sets of special tablets in the uh, original too. After after you beat God a few times, he goes and he hangs out at the casino in the uh, immigrant town, I believe. It's pretty mm-hmm. funny. He hangs out on the roof or something and you can... Huh. That's cute. That's That's not where I would have expected God to hang out, but what do I know? Well, you know, if you've ever watched Dogma, he does like skee-ball. I remember right now is George Carlin as a cardinal. And Alan Rickman as an angel. Okay, getting on. Do, uh, is there anything else y'all want to say before I do the final statistics wrap-up here? Um, music is amazing, but and very rarely Dragon Quest music isn't amazing, even though it's like literally the same songs throughout the entire series. They're very similar every time. I know every time I hear the new, uh, the same as the one before it. I'm not the best to talk about the music. I usually play with it on mute, but Dragon Quest ones are, they're pretty good. I mean, I gotta say, the thing I like about Dragon Quest music is that, you know, Final Fantasy music is all about being epic and amazing, and Dragon Quest music is more cute and kind of out of a funny sitcom, and I appreciate that about the Dragon Quest series as a whole, is how kind of cute and laid back it is i don't remember a whole lot of the tracks right now but i also remember it being very pleasant to the ear so i can definitely give it a recommendation in that it will not irritate yeah it's very peppy and upbeat upbeat stuff um i, I was listening to, I, I was listening to the orchestrated versions of it before the podcast just to kind of refresh my memory and it's nice stuff <laughs> Uh, okay, I did not mess around with the casino much. Apparently, Yuji Hori is just uh, an inveterate gambler. Does that attract either of you? I I am not a gambler. I don't even like gambling in video games just because I don't like stuff being up to chance. So I hardly ever touch casinos in the games unless I absolutely have to, like to get a Porygon or something. Yep. The panel game in this one, which has a grid of like 25 things, and you can get some pretty good weapons early on. It actually opens up right before the skill class. Um, when you pop out of the Traveler's Gate or whatever, and uh, you're at the area where you're going to change classes, it's right there before you go get fooled and fall down the well and have to go to the bad city and everything that Phil loves. But there's another one later on, and there might even be another one in the final version of the immigrant town, but you can get some very good weapons. It's not too hard. It's You get like five redos, and you can earn extra ones, and you just match them up. And then the casinos, a lot of times, I mean, these, these things are 
rigged in the Dragon Quest games. Save, reset, play the slots a few times, and you'll be rolling in the money. You'll have the best metal slime gear where and fire attacks or magic attacks in general just don't really affect you too much and the best weapons are there there's usually a flail that has the highest attack power of anything and hits all enemies on the screen so if you spend a little time with it you get some great rewards breaking i can imagine oh and and before we uh, move on to phil's kind of final thing um they said that this was the best selling japanese playstation game of all time um this game tanked so hard in the united states that they pretty much canceled any plans to localize anything until dq8 which was kind of a bummer because we didn't get that playstation remake of four um i think that there was a playstation There's remake a ps2 of- remake of five yeah we didn't get that yeah playstation one remake of four was actually advertised yep on the back of the <laughs> manual Mm-hmm. That was actually more of a was it the Enix of America went under or yeah. the developer or whoever was translating it went under heartbeat or something like that. Basically, didn't bother to find anybody else because it didn't do too well there. Yeah, and then shortly after that, Square and Enix merged mainly to save Square after the Final Fantasy movie tanked. That's and, right. Uh, How Dragon Quest saved Final Fantasy. Yeah, more or less, and then we got that, uh, had two worlds combined when we had that demo of Final Fantasy that came with 8. That was a big selling point. I mean, I know when I went out and, I mean, I was buying 8 anyway, but honestly, I think I bought Final Fantasy 12 just because it was in Dragon Quest 8, probably backwards from almost everybody else who bought Dragon Quest 8 just for the Final Fantasy 12 demo, but there it is. I mean, it's nice that Dragon Quest has kind of been saved from obscurity in recent years. But, I mean, this was kind of a dark time for the series and for fans in North America because, I mean, let's face it, this game was kind of underwhelming compared to what was coming out at the time. And I completely understand why it didn't do well in the U.S. Well, as a lot of people would tell you... The RPG audience exploded thanks to Final Fantasy VII and others of its ilk at the time. Mm-hmm. And Dragon Quest VII is not going to appeal to anyone who jumped on board because of snazzy graphics and oh wow, that looks so awesome from the the SquareSoft of the PS1 days. Dragon Quest VII is a lot of things, but it is not a graphical showcase that will have everybody popping in to say, whoa, that looked awesome! You were correct there. Yeah. Dragon Quest fans are going to say that. (laughs) You're not going to get any argument from that. Now, you probably... What sales you did get were almost certainly from people who remembered the series on the NES. None of the stuff and Dragon Quest was translated for the for the Super Nintendo. And that wasn't a very large audience. Yeah, I, I can imagine that all those people that brought SNES, or NES Dragon Quest or ended up with a copy of it via Nintendo Power. And, you know, you can beat that game in maybe five hours if you know what you're doing. And they, I imagine that they were pretty overwhelmed by the 100-hour marathon that is this game. Speaking of the graphics, too, I mean, I was just looking up. PlayStation 2 released in North America October 26, 2000, and Dragon Quest, Dragon Warrior 7 released a year and five days later for the original PlayStation. Which was I mean, right around the time Final that. Fantasy X came out. 
you're right. You're not comparing this to Final Fantasy seven, eight, and nine. This is a contemporary of Final Fantasy ten. But as well, Phil that explains earlier, why it looks so earlier, much. Dragon Quest seven looks so much better than yeah, Final Fantasy ten. That explains why. Now we know why. Yeah, they didn't let that PlayStation One hardware hold them back. We got this. Hey, you know what? They were ahead of their time because now we adore retro graphics. So they were just trying to do that, what, 15 years before it's time? Well, this is true. This is true. Yeah, they were they were retro before retro was a thing. Uh, so Unfortunately, there wasn't a market for retro before retro thing. I know, right? Oh, no, unfortunately not. There was... It was considered dated back then. So let's provide a little bit of, 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 of background here before we quote prices and stuff, but a little bit of uh, uh, talking about, you know, its success or lack thereof with some with some statistics from Wikipedia, which we, we always, <laughs> always completely reliable. Dragon Warrior 7 received both commercial and critical success in Japan. It was the best-selling PlayStation game of 2000 in the region of 3.7 million copies sold. Uh, most copies were sold mere weeks after the game's release. The game established itself for having the largest annual shipment of indie, any independently sold game for the original PlayStation. Shipments uh, reached 4 million copies on January 5th, 2001, and the game became the sixth best-selling video game of all platforms of all time. Worldwide sales... In Japan. Of, in, yeah, yeah. Uh, worldwide sales of the game has surpassed 4.1 million units as of February 2004. So do the math. You can see that the vast majority <laughs> of those were sold in Japan. Sales of North America version of Dragon Warrior 7 reached a whopping 200,000 copies, according to the Magic Box, which, in case you can't figure out, was not nearly as stellar as its Japanese counterpart. Enix of America was still expressed their satisfaction at the sales figures. Uh, so... Yeah, you know, so so there you go. Um, sales of the Nintendo 3DS remake exceeded 800,000 copies the first week in Japan. As of March 17th, 2013, the remake has sold one point, uh, almost 1.2 million copies, uh, you know, over there. Yeah. How, how did the 3DS one do in the U.S.? Did it say? Sure, equal as much. Yeah, yeah, proportionately as well, which means it sold like 30,000. No, it, it doesn't really say here how well it did. You know, outside, um, but we, we can imagine it did because I know I, I had to support Dragon Quest, um, and so I had to go out and buy it and did my part. Well, I, I mean, I, if Amazon still has the history. I pulled up an Amazon to see if it's still for sale and if you can still get it. You can thirty five dollars uh, there on Amazon, and it has that big banner that says you purchased this item on November twelfth, twenty fifteen. I remember the 3DS remake was announced pretty early on in the 3DS life cycle. And it was one of the main reasons why I wanted a 3DS, because it's like, okay, I want a portable version of the game that's, you know, going to take me a lifetime to beat, apparently. And, you know, as the years kind of went by, it's like, whatever happened with that Dragon Quest VII remake? That was announced a long time ago, and been out and ever, are they ever going to bring it to the u.s and then it just came up in a surprise direct about 2014 and i was like oh my god that they, they pretty much waited the entire life cycle of the 3ds to either localize or decide that they were going to localize that thing i know and, uh, I, what say what i'm a big part of a bunch of different dragon quest groups around the internet and yeah it surprised everybody like that i've used for years it's not coming to just that's what Dragon Quest do. They don't always make it to the United States, and that thing was announced after it was out in Japan. 
or something like that. Yeah, I, I just, I remember watching the, the direct where they announced the localization for that one and 8, and I, I yelled yes so loud that my husband heard me, and he was watching the direct, and he's like, wow, are you happy? I'm like, you have no idea how long I've been waiting for this game. I bought my 3DS for that and uh, for the Monsters games. I really uh, I love the Dragon Quest Monsters. I think they're the best part about all the Dragon Quest games. And they've got their own Pokemon monster collecting games. And all the 3DS ones, none of them have come out in the United States. I think there's been three or four now and dead here. And, yes, yeah, since he was talking about, you know, being in Dragon Quest communities, they had been... Like, they were teasing us for, like, two years before they announced that localization, too. Like, people kept asking Yuji Hori, uh, or, you know, just the game directors in general. It's like, are you, are you ever going to bring 6 or 7 and 8 to the U.S.? And he would kind of hint at it, but not really confirm anything. So the, the only hint we got was there was a fan translation project that um, was going on that got a cease and desist, I think, about a month before the announcement. So... Well, that's just because we we know Square Enix is very nice to fans and always attempts to work things out in a reasonable manner of bringing out the lawyers. Monsters games, they don't care. They let fans <laughs> translate that because they know they're not bringing that out. Well, I mean, how can they compete with Pokemon? Mm. I, I'm I just I'm as I'm talking about this, I'm having all of these when's it coming out memories flooding back to me, and I'm I'm glad that it came out and. <laughs> Just to segue into Phil's pricing segment, if you're going to play this game, play the 3DS version. You know, unless you're a masochist and are into pain and frustration, then by all means play the PlayStation One. But you're in for a better time with the 3DS One. Put 250 hours into that game this decade. That that was something I did fresh out of college in the early 2000s. Ah, to be young and have all that free time again. Yeah, uh, you didn't have to go earn a living. Yep. <laughs> I, I I've heard I heard uh, one YouTuber describe the Dragon Quest series, you know, generally as that game that you play, you know, like it's it's comfort food. It's you know the combat systems are never you know super difficult or anything along those lines. It's uh, you could knock out an adventure before bed. Um, Dragon Quest Seven, in my opinion, it, it kind of breaks the mold a little bit because it, it's the biggest, beefiest by far adventure, and even the small <laughs> adventures are super beefy and if you're just playing it before bed it can easily take you a week or more to complete just some of the quote-unquote side quest or little things along the way in the main quest um but with that being said you're getting your money's worth you're getting an incredibly uh deep uh class you know class system with monster class systems that we talked about um and all kinds of little side things you can do as you're going through all of these very deep and interesting adventures that if you are a person who can keep up with the details really well. There's some really good payoffs to a lot of those stories. So I think, you know, if you're going out and you're buying this uh, for, you know, 30 35 you know, dollars, uh, you're getting a, a really great value and, and a game that, you know, hey, can, can 4 million Japanese be wrong? Can they? Yes. But that's that's probably, what one, not, probably not in this instance. That's what one critic said. 4 million Japanese can be wrong. Uh, <laughs> but... But for well, both... Phil, let's 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 throw that somewhere else. How many copies of Madden edition? Yeah, or how many copies? Where, where's of... our wiki numbers on Madden sales? Madden, Madden, Madden is Madden, Madden still doing good? I don't know. I don't keep up with football games. I'm sure it is, or else it would have been retired. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, uh, yeah, just don't buy Madden. Electronic Arts has had a plan in gear for whenever John Madden dies, it will just change the name immediately. Keep going with no break in continuity. (laughs) Yes, continuity. The great continuity that is the Madden series. Hey, to be fair, they do have a story mode now. Oh, jeez. You know, they add so incrementally to those games, they charge their poor people $60 for a brand new thing that, that, that really, you know, they're just adding incremental improvements to. Or you could pay $35 and get this huge, you know, epic adventure with all these deep systems involved. Um, as Again, as long as you understand what you're getting into, because, you know, it has to be the kind of game for you. Uh, it obviously isn't quite what I'm looking for. And maybe when I'm retired and I have more time on my hands uh, and I don't find hunting monsters quite as thrilling as I do now, then I'll want to sit down and cozy up to a 100-hour slow pace. Yeah, not Madden. No, Dragon <laughs> Quest Seven. Now, so. for, for the masochists out there, what does the PlayStation version run? Oh. The one that you gave me as a gift, Phil, which is how I played it on PlayStation. And then yeah. when I was done with it, I sold it to somebody in Turkey who apparently was thrilled and has never contacted me to say, "Oh, I'm, I wish you hadn't sold me this. I never, I didn't really want it at all." Uh, he, there's uh, a very. Uh, it is prominent... seventy dollars, man. Brand new, I... which is what our listeners demand. I mean, there's someone selling a used one somewhere for twenty bucks without the case or anything. But come on, this is RPG Backtrack, so they want the best. They want the seventy dollar. I remember very distinctly my being in college and going with my mom to Sears in the GameStop area. Back then it was probably EB Games. And uh, going to the EB Games right across the way from the Sears and picking up that and Final Fantasy Origins on the PlayStation for 20 bucks each. And wow. playing like an hour of Dragon Quest and getting bored and then putting in Final Fantasy Origins <laughs> and playing Final Fantasy 1 for the first time in my life. Yeah. We're actually looking to battle. Yeah, pretty much. Didn't get it battle, so you switched. Nope. Yep. <laughs> and you, what was your experience playing Final Fantasy two for the first time? Um, beating up party members to min max. That's why Final Fantasy two was a great time when I was stuck on a plane going across the Atlantic. I hey, just beat my, I just beat myself no, up the whole time. <laughs> Hey, Final Fantasy 2 brought us the Saga series, which, that, that ain't half bad, if you're into pain. I feel that the instant this is put up, Michael Apps will suddenly appear to, dis- to decry the slander you have just uttered against the inviolable Saga series. Hey, 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 I appreciate the Saga series for all of its charm. And I do in quite, quite enjoy Saga games. I just know that they're for massive. And what you're saying is that if you say Saga three times in a mirror, that you'll magically summon wheels? I think that's true, actually. <laughs> Phil, will, will you chime in on this? You you know that Mr. Apps and Saga just go together. Oh, yeah, they're inseparable. Let me join it to help. Love Legend of Legacy, didn't he? I, I think he did. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure that... That's my game. That that's like Phil's uh, to the end boss, and it beat you. Yeah, well, I love that game. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, gosh, they just remade it. They shouldn't make Megami Tensei. Strange Journey. Redux. Is my it, it, Legend of Legacy is my one game I've ever made it to the end boss, and finally I sold it. Yeah, 
I played that in boss and you can't really grind. I had a bunch of skills that I was reading on facts that were great to use. Never got them. Yeah. Just never got them. I was like, nope. You know, that's boxed fun. it up, put it on eBay. That's a, <laughs> that could, yeah, that can be a fine approach. Sometimes like I, I tell my final fantasy nine story. I had that problem with final fantasy nine. Last boss just wiped me up and I just didn't have which the one. Cause the last uh, one, the absolute last freaking boss in the game. Oh, oh! You mean the the truly well developed Necron who have heard so much about throughout the game? Yeah, whatever his name was, he kicked my ass. I quit playing the game. I put it on the shelf. I didn't touch it for. I, I it wasn't until the PSP version came out that I decided to give it another try. And this time, paying really close attention to making sure I did more grinding, making sure I really paid attention to getting a good set of skills, and maybe a life two or three spell level two. Um, yeah, and then I got through the game, and I'm glad I did. I like. Anywho, we got to get going. Um, so thank y'all so super much. Y'all can go out there and get your PS One edition uh, for seventy dollars or so on eBay, or you can get the far superior version for half the price for your Nintendo 3DS. It's your choice. Uh, and while you're debating that subject, uh, we're going to take a little break. Let you listen to some more music. And we'll come back with uh, an RPG backtrack sidetrack, so hold on tight. take you on a journey through uh, one or two MS-DOS well, I mean, DOS, <laughs> PC RPGs from the way back when right up through yesteryear so um, we'll start with something a little bit more, I, you know, I use air quotes on this modern because I'm going to talk about Tales of Magial that was released in uh, officially kind of released in 2012 but it's a roguelike game that builds off, very strongly off of games like Ogbon Zogbon which in turn build off of Rogue which goes all the way back to the 80s and the such, right? Um, so, um, 
the uh, the 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 the. But you can get this on GOG. It came out on GOG not that long ago. Uh, you can you can download this game for free. It's an open source roguelike video game. If you get the GOG version, you pay a few bucks. You help support them, and you probably get some extra documentation or whatever. But um, it's a dungeon crawling roguelike game. You play one character. You make them up. You got a number of choices from race and classes. It's got and, and as you play the game, more and more and more choices become available to you. Uh, as a and then you're very much like any roguelike, like Shiren the Wonder or whatnot. It's one of those games where you take a step, the monsters take a step. And the game just throws you right into the woods, and you get to go right away and go fight people. Uh, unlike some of the other roguelikes I played, while there are items in the game, there's a very strong focus on skills. As you level up, you get to pick new skills, you get to level up existing ones. Those skills are on cooldowns, which I thought was interesting. I've never seen that uh, in a roguelike before. So uh, it more defines your character than simply, oh, hey, I found this magic wand that can throw out fireballs. Uh, in, other, in, in other kind of roguelike games I play, what you find is real, on that particular trip is really what d- dictates the playstyle that you can kind of expect for that run-through anyways. But here it very much is about the class and the, and the, the skills that you choose as part of that class. A part of the ga- thing with roguelikes is usually you die once it's game over. What uh, Tales of Magial does is actually gives you a couple of different options. You can play uh, so that you have a number of lives, so you just don't die and immediately get a game over. But eventually, you will probably run out of those lives, and you will start over again. Uh, though any classes or races you might have unlocked will now be unlocked to you, so there's a, still a kind of a sense of progression um, but pretty much everything else you, you lose. It, well, you get the wisdom. I mean, the big thing about roguelikes is every time you die, supposedly you learn something. So that when you go back and play it again, you're a better player for it. The game is 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 huge because they've been adding to it for years. They released an expansion, Embers of Rage. Uh, so there is a lot of meat. It's very statistically driven. And it does a decent job of telling you what, what some of those things and those statistics and those abilities do. But really, this is one of those games where you're going to want to spend some time in some FAQs or something along those lines to really get your mileage out of it. Because otherwise you're going to be evaluating different pieces of armor and weapons and trying to pick different skills and you're not really going to be sure which ones are best. Of course, the other method would be just simply go at it and keep dying over and over until you figure out what works best, right? That always works. That works for. I don't know about. I don't know about always. Sometimes. Sometimes. There you go. Definitely not in real life. I think in real life you can't. You can't keep dying over and over. It doesn't work. Yeah, I had to say like coming from coming from real uh, uh, you know, rogue and Ogbon and Zogbon. Have you have you played any uh, of those, uh, Mister Matt? One. I mean, I played some of the mystery dungeons. There was a couple Dragon Quest ones. I even imported one. Um, I tried the Etrian Odyssey Mystery Dungeon, but there was a really weird gameplay feature I hated. And yeah, yeah, that one was after so a while. Yeah, Mike and I talked about that one a while back. Um, but yeah, it, it, you know, it's it, it. This one's a direct descendant of the PC Rogue and, and and the ones that came right after the Rogue Legs that came right after. So there definitely is a very PC flair to this. I mean, the statistics are definitely a lot deeper, and the moving pieces there are a lot deeper. And I did think, I mean, its biggest departure, really, if it wasn't for the fact that it had these skills that were kind of on these cooldowns, I would have just figured it was Zogbon 2.0. So it it is really, really uh, deep in those regards. Lots of randomness to it as well. 
Of course, it's a roguelike. The you know your mileage is going to vary on something like this. If you're really into hardcore rogue roguelike games, this game has everything that you want. You're if you're into very deep statistical type of things, uh, then this this game's for you. Uh, it just wasn't necessarily for me on this one. I, I think it's just right now where I'm at in my life. I'm not very patient with dying over and over again and starting over and trying to figure out WTF do these statistics mean and how does that really work in the round, world around me? And, and of course, like any roguelike, you also have to be super careful, right? If you are moving through a dungeon and most of the enemies there are easy, so you do what I do, which is you start clicking on different parts of the dungeon because you're trying to figure out where the staircase is at. And you and you and if you click on a different part of the dungeon, your character will just zip right over there, right? But he's taking 50 steps, which means if there's any enemies remaining, they get 50 turns. And if those turns lead them to you and your path... They can kill you before you know what hits you. So it's one of the you know you have to you have to pay attention. The bosses there can be a bit on the spiky side. It's not unusual to fight a bunch of regular enemies, do okay by them, or even really good, and then get to a boss and he's got special abilities that make your make your life a lot more difficult. Again, the more you play it, the more you'll get used to it, the more you'll be prepared for those types of situations. But um, if you're a person who who lacks patience. Uh, and or the desire to go read a lot of FAQs, then this may not be the game for you. Graphic-wise, it is a tile-based game. This is going back all the way to the early games. Uh, so Rogue was done completely in text, and then later on, like, Ogbon, I think, was in text, but then they added tile sets to it, uh, which were optional for the longest. Uh, this game is is basically tile set-based. It's It's tile graphics. So you're not going to write home about any of the graphics. The good news is you can play this on just about anything. I put this on my business laptop. Worked flawlessly. So, yeah. But that's odd. That's uh, Tales Tales of Magial. Get it for free. Or for a few bucks off of GOG. The other game I played was Icewind Dale 2. Developed by Black Isle Studio. Published by Interplay Entertainment. This was released uh, on Microsoft Windows August 27, 2002. And is a single and multiplayer RPG experience. God bless your heart if you're playing this with other people. Um, did uh, did uh, Matt? Uh, I know Mr. Mike's history about this, but have you ever played like Baldur's Gate on the PC or Icewind Dale or any of those Infinity Engine games? Oh, I haven't. I've heard you talk about them on podcasts, and uh, they, they sound interesting. And them, yeah, <laughs> haven't gone back to them. I guess. Yeah, definitely an interesting breed, and I would, you know, depending on exactly what you emphasize, I would I recommend different games. But I would find it hard to recommend Icewind Dale 2. And I'm scratching my head wondering why, because I sang the praises of Icewind Dale 1. I really loved Icewind Dale 1. And Icewind Dale 2 should be, it's the same, you know, made for Black Isle and same company. Should be, should be, got really good reviews. I should feel right at home here. It's using third edition rules, which I'm going to be more familiar with because that's closer to what we play today. So I should be happy with this, and yet... I was I play guys who watch my live stream know just how frustrated I got with this game. The 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 difficulty. The big thing that kills me here is uh, you know I'll start off with the positive. It, it looks like Icewind Dale one plays a lot like Icewind Dale one. It's refreshing to, to to play one of these games with the newer rule set. There's a huge difference between first and second edition and then third edition. Right, third edition made a, a huge jump in a lot of ways. So. It, it was really cool, you know, setting up my party 
and and starting playing the game and kind of going through that and just getting used to the to that newer system. But ultimately, it is an Infinity Engine game. Yeah, you're gonna you, you know you you might learn the spells at slightly different times, or uh, you have to hit bonuses rather than they go, uh, and you and the saving throws and whatnot instead of are, are a lot different. But you're you're still you're still hey, there's a bunch of goblins. I gotta start casting a spell. Everything moves at the same time. All the strengths and weaknesses you've heard me talk about, Icewind Dale one are inherent to the system in Icewind Dale 2. The fact that it's 3rd edition doesn't change the fact that it has Infinity... It, the Infinity Engine is what rules here, and it has its strengths and its weaknesses. And where, in my opinion, where Infinity Engine um, shows most of its weaknesses is when the combat is more and more difficult because you have six party members that you have to constantly pause and micromanage, uh, and the more difficult a battle is, the more you have to do that, and the, the more you keep wondering, why in the beep is this not a turn-based game, right? If I had to keep my... Why didn't you just make this a turn-based game? D&D is a tactical game to begin with. When you play it with your friends, it's a turn-based game. The game is developed from the ground up over decades as a turn-based game. And and and, and as, you know, with Dicewind Dale 1, I got used to it, and it flowed. And there were a couple boss battles that you really have to slow down and micromanage, and you roll your eyes if you die once or twice, and you have to start over, and you spend 20 or 30 minutes because there's so much micromanaging. And Ice Wind Dale 2, I was doing that a lot because the battles are just harder. The situations are just harder. It's not unusual for you to run into an area, and if you let your AI take over your characters and they start chasing after a goblin, suddenly they've aggroed two dozen goblins, and they're just crashing down on you, and you get overwhelmed by the numbers. Uh, it was just... I, I, I was just bewildered. I probably could have chosen a better class set maybe for, for the challenges there, uh, I made a mistake, I think, in picking a sorcerer rather than a mage. A sorcerer is kind of limited on the selection of spells that she can have. Uh, and I tend to, when I pick a sorcerer, I'll pick spells that tend to work best in the late game because, you know, usually you level up through the early levels pretty quickly. And Icewind Dale, too, it was just, there were just so many encounters, though, where spells like Sleep would have probably helped me out a lot, even though they, they really do stink at the higher levels. There's just so many battles you were just get overwhelmed. Uh, with sheer numbers, especially if your guy's over-aggroed, which was so easy to do because the AI. So it it was just one hard battle after the other. And if you're watching the stream, there was times where I was just quiet letting the guys talk, but people who were watching the stream would see me reload the same game six times. And this was not a boss fight. <laughs> you know, like I was just having my characters die. And I know how to equip armor. I know how to keep them in formation. I, 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 I just just it was just a really brutal experience uh maybe i'm the only one again a lot of reviewers loved it uh they did you know any criticism on icewind dale one and two had more to do from critics had more to do with the lack of story i know that getting into icewind dale one and two in fact i'm okay with that because it means i get to build my own party and write my own story i've said that before that's one of the, the the powers of the wrpg but uh but here it was just the combat system being brought up a notch and hey I'm no stranger to difficulty in D battles. I just finished. Uh, I just finished Curse of the Azure Bonds, and I beat it all the way to completion. So I know how to get through those things. I know how to. I know how to min max, and 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 it's just boy, this game is just wow. I, I feel for new players coming to this game. Let's put it this way: you, you definitely wouldn't want a new player to come to this. So yeah, this does not get my hearty recommendation. I did not. Uh, I did not have as much fun with this as I thought I would after playing. I would say play number one. <laughs> I'll play number one over again before I play number two. I think. So it's just me. If you look at reviews, even user reviews, 
They love it. So take what I say with a grain of salt. Well, how many of those reviews are real, Phil? And how many of them were made were written 16 years ago and could probably be revised if they were to be written now? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I just, I don't know. if I mean, it really had me questioning, do I just suck at, is it D&D or is it just uh, these Infinity Engine, everything moves at the same time with funky AI that does what the beep it wants on you games? Like, I, I just don't get it. Those battles were just so freaking hard. Uh, there's one where you do kind of fight a troll boss. He's in charge of a bunch of goblins in a cave. And once you do talk with him, you're deep inside the cave and all the other goblins aggro on you. So, okay, they surround the, the, the party and it's a really bad situation. You're flanked on all sides. Your wizards are getting hit in the back. So that's not the situation you want to go in. So I play it smart. I reload my save game. I just send a single fighter down to talk to him because somebody has to go talk to him. Um, and and I think even if you kill off some of the goblins along the way, they pop back. It's really weird. But I went down and talked to him, and I can't tell you how many times that fighter just didn't even make it alive back to the party. The idea was to kite him, right? Talk to him, aggro the encounter. They they start popping in because, you know, smoke bombs. And, and so I had a strategy all set up. I had crowd control spells all ready to go. I had stinking cloud. I had web. I had everything to slow them down just to keep them from getting to my team. So I could have a little bit of time to try to dwindle down their numbers. It's just, it's, it is it is a very, like, you got to bring your A game, you know, your Infinity Engine A game to this. Um, uh, there was one, another room I went into that literally had, I swear it had two dozen goblins. So, and when they're surrounding your party and hitting your wizards with their low armor classes, that's difficult. It wasn't giving me as many magic items for the hours I played it as, as, as Icewind Dale 1. So I didn't feel like my characters were as well protected. No. I just, I'm not, a, I just, I did not, so I did not finish it. I, I got to like level 6 on my characters maybe. Uh, again, you can look at the live stream for more information, but it just didn't hook me the way Icewind Dale 1 did. I mean, I would rather go back and play Baldur's Gate games, just anything, but don't make me do Icewind Dale 2. He wants to hurt me. Like shimming up my Tensei Strange Journey. I think you probably put a lot more hours in the Strange Journey than you did to Icewind Dale 2 now, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I feel like I say I think that's one of the things that the Shimigami Tensei games do really, really well. Like I'm playing Nocturne now, which is one of the hardest ones out there, I've been told. And but I'm telling you, like I'm maybe a dozen hours into it's kinda of my workout no, I'm not a dozen hours, I'm five hours. What am I kidding? Um it's my workout game. But uh you know, five hours in they, you know, if you let your guard down, you can get a party wipe. They get a critical hit on you. It can lead to somebody dying. You know, it, it's 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 a Shimigami game. Uh, and heaven forbid, uh, Mr. Miki will tell us the the anguish of if that happens to your main character. We all know what happens. I don't need to say anything. You should know this already. But uh, but I will say, like, the Shimigami game, Strange Journey, whatever have you, I think they do a good job of starting you off hard and ramping it up to harder. You know, as you get... You know, towards the end, I think there's a good progression there. But um, uh, that's what I feel like a lot of games miss. They'll have a lot of enemies that are that are really weak, and then they'll have a super tough boss. And it'll, you know, this just feels imbalanced. Um, or in the case of Icewind Dale 2, we're just going to make everything balls to the wall hard and see how you like it. So it definitely was made for the game, the, the players out there who really love the Infinity Engine, which everybody who listens to me knows I'm not a huge fan I, I, I liked Icewind Dale 1 in spite of the Infinity Engine, not because of it. So, alrighty. Well, cool. Uh, we'll take another break and we'll come back to wrap this up with the final lap. 
this is the final lap where we just talk the breeze and do kitchen sink stuff and read your comments, assuming we can find them. The best way to make sure we can find them really is to hit uh, Mr. Miki and I up on Twitter. Uh, since the forums are pretty much really dead and there is a comment section you can leave on the podcast but sometimes what happens is people leave the comments on the wrong podcast uh i will of course read those people who left comments for episode 193 in soviet russia uh, pokemon catch you and we have a number of comments uh aside from strawberry eggs posting her vic mig big mig whatever his freaking name is water pony <laughs> videos and whatnot there's this weird i i think he's one of those internet trolls his name's platinum three and uh yeah you know, he just looks like he's a, he's just a troublemaker he says now that the most popular series has been covered twice how about covering the best dragon quest monsters five main games plenty of remakes and professional versions and all but one came to the U.S. What do you have to say to that, Mr. Minky? I think we're going to do Dragon Quest VIII first, and then we can talk about monsters, considering that I haven't actually played any of the monsters. Round up someone else to you about them, because if we do these things solo with just one person talking, it tends to not go very well. There's a lot of dead space. See, we have a, <laughs> we have a bunch of spinoffs we need to cover. Um, monsters, Rocket Slime, Heroes... Um, in two years, we yes. need to do Builders, which was amazing. I think Builders has been... It's Builders 2 that just came out. And I think it's later this year. Okay. You may be right. It's just, Builders is fresh run because that came out this year on the Switch, even though I think it was out the year before that everywhere else. Actually, right after Dragon Quest Seven, so it's almost been two years, for the PlayStation 4 at least. Yeah. Speaking of spinoffs, I know... The instant we bring this up, Cassandra is going to say, "Well, what about all those Pokemon spinoffs?" Kelly, are, are you? Do you I, want I to could... talk to Cassandra about, say, the Pokemon Rangers or uh, hey, the Pokemon I... Stadium? Uh... I want to do a three-hour podcast about Snap. There you go. <laughs> you um... can do that. I will just sit back and let you talk because I contribute absolutely nothing, not even informed questions. Pokemon Snap is the secret best Pokemon game. And it's a, it's a crime that we never got a sequel to it. All you have Pokemon to do is Rangers tell Nintendo... The my hand. <laughs> Sorry, I'm Mike. sure Nintendo will listen to your pleas for more Pokemon Snap, because Nintendo is very responsive to its fans. Oh, yes, responsive. Maybe I need to make that Pokemon Snap fan game, and then they'll listen to me. Well, you know that at least Nintendo's lawyers... As they issue a cease and desist, and then pay attention to nothing else until you fail to season. Yes. Uh, Shaven had a litany of comments. I'll just pick a highlight here since Misrelli's here. Says, uh, he, he, and, he, and, he, and he actually spelled it correctly. R-E-L-Y. Relly's not the only one who chased the living decks. Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire is where I really kicked my quest for the same into gear. Especially since Bank let me store them all. See, yeah, once once you get that living dex thing, it's hard not to want to not do it. Yeah, and I've I've, sorry, I've met people recently that have taken the living dex further to insanity, and in that they get all of the variations of unknown and that one moth that has different colors based on what region they come from. Mm-hmm. Um, one person joked that they need to try to catch every single permutation of Spenda, which is impossible because there's literally millions of them 
But yeah, living dex is uh, is a lot of fun. Though I don't recommend um, using a living dex to kind of cheese your way into a new game because I did that with Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, where I pretty much just kind of made Super Pokemon to run through the game with, and didn't enjoy Ultra Sun and Moon as much as I probably could have. <laughs> with so much new content, how could you not have enjoyed it so much? Yeah, because. I thought it was going to be more like Black and White 2, where it was going to be a full-fledged sequel, and instead it was more of a uh, a third game, and I kind of wasn't expecting that, and I, could, I had a hard time getting into it because of it. I complained I about this. Pre-order on that. That's yeah. the only game I think I've ever canceled the pre-order on. Yeah, I, I complained about this at length on RPG Cast about how disappointed I was with that game, but, you know, it, it was my own fault because of my ex- well, I say it was my own fault. I don't think Nintendo did a very good job of communicating that to the general public as to what type of game it was supposed to be. Hmm. So you, you were good to cancel your pre-order because you didn't miss much. Uh, yeah, I'm a school teacher, and all the kids came in like after that was done, and they were telling me everything. And I'm like, isn't that what happened in the original game? Isn't that what happened in the original game? And they were like, yeah, but it's like so different in this one because and I'm like, no, that's that's exactly what happened. <laughs> Yeah, it really should have been Pokemon Stars, but I digress. Yeah, well, um, uh, Clicks, uh, Clicks, who is, by the way, one of the most awesome, you know, people in the world, uh, simply because she does have Final Six at the top games. I'm <laughs> uh, just going to put that out there. I don't like Gen 6, uh, but I wouldn't have a living Dex without it. Honestly, kind of the only thing to do, since the Kalos campaign is so blah. Black Y2 is the last ubiquitously good game in the series, continuing the bump in quality that started with Platinum. Gen 6 was a return to the incomplete, lackluster experience of Ruby Sapphire and Diamond Pearl. To top it off, XY was denied its Emerald Platinum. As much as I don't like Gen 3, at least it ended with a bang. Kalos was treated like an afterthought, which just caused, um, SM. Quick, what is SM? Sun Moon. Thank you. Sun Moon to get rushed uh, as an extra FU to everyone. Chasing after an anniversary at the expense of the franchise is putting the cart before the horse. What do you say to that, Miss Relly? Oh, uh, to each their own. Strawberry I, egg. Oh, go ahead. Did you have more? I, I enjoyed them, but I, I understand the complaints. Strawberry Egg says, uh, I've never heard of her before. I somewhat started a living Pokedex in the bank. Since Gen 7 does have a national dex, it seems like a decent way to keep track of having all currently available Pokemon. I've let other games distract me, though. And last comment is, Zoko says, just out of curiosity, how come I can't find the backtrack on the podcast app anymore? <laughs> uh, I, I need to change sites, up, Chris. It's something about with the new site, the former method... Uh, with the old site, I would manually update the RS page, backtrack every time we had a new episode, and do it. And now I can't do that anymore. And there's some way to automatically do it, and I'm not sure what it is. And Apple is not particularly forthcoming to people who are attempting to use Apple from the outside. So uh, I, I guess I got to keep poking Chris and see if he can pull the night. What the hell am I not? What the hell am I not doing? What box do I need to be clicking in the back end in order to make this work? I thought I was clicking every box we needed. <laughs> I hate it. You and me both. Yeah. So technical difficulties. So, so you can blame my technical why it's not showing up. But you, as we saw, you can still listen to these things on iTunes. Just the main page isn't loading for 
reloading for some reason. Don't ask me why. I don't understand iTunes. I, mean, I don't know if the new the new podcasts are showing up on iTunes because of that link issue or whatever it's going on. So I had a... Joshua was saying that he was able to listen most on iTunes, even oh. though the thing hadn't loaded. Oh, that's funny. Well, there you go. Hashtag iTunes sucks. Um, so, yeah. Anyways, thank you so much for your comments. Uh, again, you can hit us up on Twitter. You can do. You can leave your comments directly on the podcast. Uh, if you're going to rpgamer.com, head over to podcast, look at Backtrack, and there's the episodes in order. Just pick the top one, and you can put your comments right there. Even if you're commenting on older shows because you're like certain people who are on the podcast right now and you decide to listen to 100 episodes at once, we always encourage you to leave comments on the newest episode because we don't go back and read the comments on the older episodes, really. That would be too much. So, uh, taken. yeah. Or just hit us up on Twitter <laughs> at JC Servant at Jew Mason. Uh, let's do uh, let's do our round table. Hey, what, uh, what are you guys working on or what are you working on for the site or what are you playing uh, let's uh, let's let the ladies go first with uh, Miss Kyan. Well, to continue our theme for the night, I've been playing Dragon Quest Eleven. And how's to that going? Sorry, two people were talking at once. And how's that going? It has been a, a, a really fun game so far. It it's kind of more into the what eight tried to bring to the series, which is having an overarching story instead of having the vignettes. And I've really appreciated that because as much as I enjoy the vignettes for a while there, I was getting a particularly after Dragon Quest Nine, I found myself getting very sick of, you know, go, go to a town, solve their prob- friendship problem, uh, rinse, repeat until the end of the game where a big bad was like apparently there the whole time. And in Dragon Quest Eleven, you're, you're still a silent protagonist, but you're find out very early on in the game that you're the luminary that was the descendant of somebody that in, in the past beat a deep dark evil man, and you go to talk to the king about this, and the king throws you in the dungeon, and you meet a thief named Eric, and escape with him, and that's when your adventure starts. And it, it's fully voiced, except for your protagonist voice. So, and the, the voice acting is really good. And I am, I am absolutely in love with Eric. He is my, uh, I, I think Eric and the protagonist have a little bit of a bromance going right now because Eric just talks about how, how, how much he, <laughs> I don't know how to put it, like how much he appreciates you and how, how much fun you are to be around and stuff. And I, if, if I was going to complain about one thing in this game is that I wish that the battles went just a little bit quicker because they're still kind of slow compared to other games or other modern RPGs. And bear in mind, I, I'd been playing Adrian Odyssey 5 on my 3DS, so I was kind of used to being able to fast forward through battles, and I kind of wish that you could do that in this game. But Like you can in the 3DS version of Dragon Quest VIII. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I like, you know, for inconsequential battles where you just kind of, you know, mowing through the trash, I like being able to speed things up a little bit. And you can't do that in this game yet unless they add it in an update or something. Um, that's kind of a bummer, but it's not a game breaker. Uh, I'm really loving the combat. It's classic Dragon Quest combat. Um, I'm really loving the crafting system where you get a fun-sized forge. Um, 
it, it basically works like the alchemy pot in eight, but you kind of can hammer items. You can improve existing items, which is kind of cool. So, you know, you get into a new town, you figure out, okay, well, do I want to just improve the gear that I already have, or do I want to grind up the money to buy all this new stuff? Um, what else? The the puns are back. Um, there the town that you have that has the hot springs is called Hot. I still think it's called Hot. It, it, it was it was a, definitely a, when I realized that it was a pun on the hot springs, I kind of giggled because like, yep, the the puns are back in force. Um, what else? I'm not very far into the game thus far. Um, I just got the two female party members. The uh twins veronica and can't remember the other girl's name i want to say her name is pamela but i might be messing messing that up and the hot springs the hot springs town is called uh hotto and then there's a um there's a horse racing town called galopolis that's not bad yeah i i imagine that the puns are going to continue yeah um it's an amazing game so far i can't wait to you know, get further into it and see the story unfold some more. And it's a gorgeous game. Um, one of the first things I did when I was just kind of running around the town was, you, uh, you know, you can explore freely. And I climbed up to the top of a roof of a house and was just looking at all of the scenery and all the lighting and stuff and was just gobsmacked at how how pretty the game was. And... I appreciate that it also brings back a lot of the exploring that's been kind of missing from JRPGs since the, um, since they started going HD. Because, you know, a lot of these, a lot of developers don't really have the time or the resources to, you know, flesh out the inside of houses and stuff and make things searchable. But no, and this. You gotta make it a streamlined script so that people are moving along or else. Yeah. I'm developing all that stuff, then you've just added months onto the can't have it. Well, it, it's like there's times where I kind of appreciate a streamlined experience and times where I do want to explore. And for for a Dragon Quest game, I definitely want to explore and you're rewarded for exploring because, I mean, pots are breakable and they have stuff and wardrobes are searchable and you get chewed out for searching in wardrobes if you're around people and they'll yell at you for get, rifling through their stuff. And bookcases are searchable, and if they don't have books with flavor text, then they have recipes for your fun-sized forge. And on the one hand, I appreciate it, but on the other hand, man, exploring some of these towns can be quite time-consuming. So now that reminds me, you found a lot of horse manure in Dragon Quest Seven. Is that still the case for Evan? You know, I'm not sure if I've haven't if I've found any horse manure yet, but I am in a town with horse racing, so it's not out of the realm of possibility. As far in, and I don't believe I've found any yet. About thirty hours in, and doesn't seem to ring a bell yet. But yeah, you're right. Well, actually, I think a lot of Dragon Quests have it. I distinctly remember it in Dragon Quest Four. Maybe there's something else, or maybe nah, nah. We this this couldn't be. They couldn't have gotten rid of horse manure that people buy. That wouldn't make any sense. And man, that that sequence where you escape from the jail is so epic because you get chased by a dragon and uh, in a camera face. How do I describe it? Uh, basically, Indiana Jones, you running towards the camera sequence that is just epic as hell. And, and seeing that the gigantic Akira Toriyama style dragon just coming after you, 
just made me grin ear to ear. Um, I, I appreciate the game. I just wish I had more time to play it because I've been so, I, I've been so busy lately messing with artwork and stuff. And I'm currently working on some artwork for, uh, RP Gamer Twitch channel for Anna right now. So I've had no time at all to play it, unfortunately. And I know that it's going to be a pretty time-consuming game. So hopefully I'll get some of this commission work done and actually get a chance in my evenings to sit down and play it some more. Because I I definitely want to finish the game before the end of the year. I think you can manage that. Yeah, I remember playing, like, Dragon Quest Heroes, and you're seeing some of those iconic monsters in, like, full HD Full animation, kind of coming at you, and how cool that was. So I can just imagine how on a PlayStation Four with a with even better rendered, you know, big old hand drawn dragon coming after you. That sounds awesome. Oh, the, the the textures are amazing. They really went out of their way trying to get the textures right in this game, and that you see, you know, the cloth work on your hero's clothes, and it, it's just a treat for the eyes. I will admit, I'm kind of sad we didn't get the 3DS one though. Yeah, yeah, it would be cool to have that. Be going back to the two D mode. I was kind of hyped for that, but nope. But I, I understand. Yeah. Say what? What I wanted to play. I wanted to play the two D alongside the PS four version, and I go back and forth every four or five hours. You know, the 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 three D S style graphics. I didn't need that in between, but the two D interesting. The sprite work and everything. The fact that they actually made that game three different ways is amazing. Yeah. I don't think it would have happened for anything but Dragon Quest. But I, I understand completely why they wouldn't have wanted to bring that over here because that it's pretty much a dying system, and that would have been an undertaking to localize. And I can't imagine it selling well at all. I cannot imagine that. I mean, outside, I know, like I said, I'm into a lot of Dragon Quest groups, and a lot of people want it, but that I don't think you're going to have the eye popping graphics that are attracting other fans to the Dragon Quest series right now on the PS4. No, unfortunately, the 3DS is kind of in its swan song years. We're getting uh, Persona Q2 and Etrian Odyssey Nexus next year and a handful of Nintendo titles, and I'll bet that's it. So Persona are, Q2? Are we getting Q2 for a fact? Yeah. Oh, excited. Uh, pre-order now. I I enjoyed Q1. That was a lot I, of fun. I I did, I still got to keep playing it, but I'm like 34. It's always near my nightstand. It's kind of like a go to a go to game. I love the soundtrack. I love the gameplay. It's it's you know Century and Odyssey, but you know with the Persona twist of the elemental you know weaknesses playing such a big part. And I don't know. I just have a ton of fun with it. I I, I feel bad for someone who may have to like. I, I know the criticisms on it. And I kind of feel like some of those are from reviewers who had to sit there and do all 100 hours all at once. God bless their hearts. Um, I'm excited. from reviewers who just played 20 or 30 hours and said, ah, I got to rush out to something else because, you know, most of the reviewers for the mainstream sites, they have to rush out and do other things Mm. immediately. Mm. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. I am mainly excited for Q2 because of the Persona 5 characters. Yeah, that's cool too. And I'm I'm also pretty excited for um, Etrian Odyssey Nexus. They they just announced the collector's edition for that today. And though I'm upset that the, this time around it's not coming with the soundtrack sample because I love Etrian soundtracks so much. Oh yeah, they're so good. 
but from what I'm reading that uh, Nexus is going to be kind of a greatest hits of Etrian. It's going to have all the classic classes in it. It's going to have some new classes. In other words, it's like the Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate of Etrian Odyssey. There Ooh. you go. Ooh, tie-in. Yeah, I, I literally just rolled credits on Etrian Odyssey 5 today. And nice. I am wasn't very impressed with the story in that one. I felt that the story was very phoned in with that one. But I, I like the puzzle solving and dungeon engineering in that one and the classes. Okay, you can stay show I like. <laughs> really? After how many shows? Now you like me? I kind of, you know, have to reevaluate every so often. Because I start to, I'm kind of old. Phil, is, Phil is very changeable. Yeah. His opinions are not set in stone. See, I, I thought that I would have been off after the uh, me saying that I like Final Fantasy VII and how Red Thirteen is the reason why my online handles Red Rock. So I don't think Phil was listening very hard at that point. No, he, he no, obviously I'm wasn't. Letting, I'm letting that one go. Uh, it's getting late. Um, <laughs> But Phil, you're not excited for all of the fi- all uh, of the Final Fantasies we're getting on the Switch. What the hell? Oh, well, the Final Fantasy on the Switch, yeah, that's <laughs> that's fine, that's cool. I mean, any way that people can go and experience it. Like, I will tell you, if you haven't played, like, if you haven't played Final Fantasy seven or nine in some time, uh, putting getting it on the Switch is a is a super awesome idea. Because I'll tell you, like, my story was I bought it when it came out on the PSP, right? So I had bought them originally. On the PlayStation, I played them originally on the PlayStation, and then later on, years later, they came they, they came out on the store, the PlayStation Network store. I bought them on the PSP, and having those games on the go is just so awesome. You know, it, it just makes them a lot more playable. You know, for me, and 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 kind of offsets some of their old schooliness, if if that's a word. I mean, I'm doing with Final Fantasy IX. I think we're getting the HD kind of like I don't know remakes the right word, but but updated port that has the speed in it, the speed thingy. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome too. Um, but yeah, yeah, I probably won't do it just because I still have them on my PSP Vita library. So if I get a hankering to do another run, I can always just play them on there. But I would highly recommend. And, and yeah, there was a lot of good announcements there, right? You're, you're going to have um, Crystal Chronicles and Chocobo's Dungeon, uh, which hopefully will become more fun somehow. But yeah. That's a lot of cool well, now, stuff coming out. Well, well, now was my turn to quit the show. You just sullied Chocobo's Dungeon, sir. It was so, like, I, I'm all about my roguelikes and stuff, and, and I've played a number of, like, you know, Sheer and the Wonder. In fact, Michael Epps and I have, kind of have that in common. I, I just felt like Chocobo's Dungeon was a little vanilla by comparison. Though it, the Chocobo's really cute. Don't get me wrong. I love Chocobo. We love the Chocobo song. The wife and I play Chocobo song in the car on the way to work in the mornings. It's awesome. But it's just, if I take the character out of it for just a minute, just evaluate it as a roguelike experience, I, I, I it was All right. okay. All right, Kelly. When is the Final Fantasy VII remake going to be ready? Yeah, when's that going to happen? Speculate! Because um... we know Square Enix is so good at time management and budgets. Oh, I, I don't know. I speculate. I mean, a, Just throw I, out a random date, and it'll probably be right. I want to say when the PlayStation Five and the Xbox Two comes out. <laughs> the Xbox One Two. One Two. That'd be funny if they called it that. Well, it can't be a stupider name than the Xbox One. No, that's a totally smart <laughs> name, man. Oh, I know the Xbox Zero. Uh, 
See, it'll be it'll be like Coke Zero. So, uh, I, I do got to mount a complaint, and uh, I hate. I love that we're getting all these Switch games. I hate that we're getting them long after I've bought the PS4 versions of them, because now I'm going to want, like, Final Fantasy XII Zodiac Age on the Switch. This and is true. I'm, this I'm is probably, very true. I'm probably well, never going to touch my uh, PS4 copy now. Well, Kelly, just remember, Square Enix will thank you every extra copy you buy. Oh, and I'm it sure. Not, it will not regret this in the slightest the more you validate its decision. I'm I'm sure, but I, I've been running to the running into this a lot because they just put the um, Sega Genesis collection, or they just announced the Sega Genesis collection that came out for the PS4 uh, one at the beginning of the year for Switch, and it's like, had I known, I wouldn't have bought it because I, I would have preferred portable Genesis games, but I guess I just need to start being more patient. It's not as if the Genesis games are going to look that great when you put them onto an HD TV. I know. <laughs> it's just the fact that you can have it portable and then it can go up on your screen. It, it just, I'm with you. I, I would rather have games like Final Fantasy XII and the Sega Genesis, because I got the same collection as you. It's sitting right here on my shelf. And I'm with you. If I had known, I would just have the Switch version because it, it's, just got, it's just got that portability factor. Mm-hmm. It's a perfect game. Those are perfect games for that sort of thing. Yeah, because I bought them for the Shining Force games. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much the only reason why I wanted them. Mm-hmm. I bought the Fantasy Star games. Yeah, that too. I never played them proper. That too. I only played them vicariously through YouTubers. I feel like that uh, needs to be rectified at some point. I mean, I was a Sega Genesis kid because I had the Sega channel back then, and pretty much every game I liked on that service was uh, in that collection. So... But yeah, I guess the lesson here is to be patient, and eventually it might come to the Switch. Mm-hmm. But I, still, I, I still don't think you should hold out hope for Panzer Dune Saga, unfortunately. Darn. Darn. If it wasn't that Sega has already made it blatantly clear that it's forgotten about that and does not want to remember it in any capacity. So I suppose holding my breath for something Shining Force 3 is just completely unheard of? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. What? Hasn't Sega's disdain for Shining Force 3 by only giving the first... I mean, to be fair, the, you know, the Saturn wasn't our future back then. Neither was leaving an entire year be the last Saturn... Was that a good decision? <laughs> no. Oh, Taylor, you, uh, you want to make yourself angry. Just look up that era of Sega and all the bonehead decisions they made and... You, you're not surprised at all that the Dreamcast ended up the way it did. Why did the 32X exist in the first place? Crossed wires. Lots and lots of crossed wires. Okay. We okay. gotta get, we gotta we, get back yes, on track. We, we are yeah. thoroughly derailed at this point. Derailed. Yep. Alright, so... Let's get this train back on station. Mr. 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 Uh, Mesmer, what do you have for the group? Um, let's see. I am also playing Dragon Quest Eleven. Um about twice as far in about 30 hours i've got all the party members that are in all the promo videos and everything so i've got my full party um and adventuring on a boat going all around um um yeah it's funny that you mentioned the speeding up the combat because the other day i was pressing i think the r1 button during combat buttons in etrian odyssey or some of the other games that 
that had that speed up feature with that, and I was like, oh, why isn't there a speed up feature? Or maybe it was Dragon Quest Eight that that's how the speed up feature worked. But yeah, it, it seems like the speed up features come to a lot of games in the remasters, not in the first. So, um, other than that, yeah, great game. Just love walking around, doing all this stuff. The puns continue with the city's names. I think there's one like Venezia or something, and it's it's Venice. There's gondolas. <laughs> it's yeah, it's Venezia or something like that, and venues, uh, um, and even where with the, seems like a pretty great story um, where you know the other Dragon Quests take it or leave it. Um, with huge overarching stories, but like there was a part that actually like got me. I was like, "Ooh, man, good." Um, kind of when you pick up one of the last party members, it was like, "Oh, wow, that wasn't even a question I even thought of or something," and it revealed that and pretty cool. Didn't see that coming or expect that. I mean, kind of like right away at the beginning of the story, they tell you, "Hey, you're the luminary." By the way, first hour, you know what you are, and uh, I could go. Um, other than that, uh, let's see, what have I been playing? Oh, look, doing my very first game for review on the site, I put up a review of uh, Dragon Quest Monsters Joker 3, um, an import one, just a couple weeks ago. Actually, right, I think the day after Dragon Quest Eleven dropped, so piggybacked right on that to get that up. But uh, doing my first one now for review, um, a Steam game, an indie game called The Greater Good, well, I'm sure I'll have a lot to say about that, but I'm only about an hour or two into it. Um, shouldn't be more than ten hours, so I'll try to knock that out in the next week or two. Eleven doesn't take all my time. Give a shout-out to Michael Apps here. Um, last week on the PSN sale, the Hyper Dimension Neptunia Rebirth 1, 2, and 3 were all on sale. And despite having just left into your bad Idea Factory episode. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Michael Apps had been the only one who reviewed any of those games, so I sent him a message, and he's like, no, the combat's really fun. You know, everything else is, you know, hit or miss, and it's Idea Factory, whatever, but the combat's pretty fun. So having I gather even that is uh, variable. How many freaking Hyperdimension Neptunia games do we have now? Eight, nine? There's uh, a bunch of them. Twenty-six and a half, I just looked it up. <laughs> What's the half? I, 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 what, what, is that a bootleg? <laughs> um, that's actually the new one that's just come out on the Switch. Uh, I for, I can look it up really quick, but it's... It, it, sorry for the typing sounds as I try to pull it up. But uh, it's one where basically what they did was... So in some... Uh, no, I'm getting it confused with another series. Forget I said that, Sorry. It's getting late. I mix, I'm mixing oh it up with another series with half-naked anime chicks. <laughs> it's just easy to do. Half-naked anime chicks who are also... The Seiren Kagara. Did you guys hear about the Seiren Kagura, whatever? The game that came out of the Switch? Seiren Kagura? Yeah, I'm totally butchering the name, I know. but So so for those who don't know, Seiren Kagura, whatever... Is is a, is a series of games with a bunch of girls that it's usually fighting games for the most part. I, I played one before. It's it's actually a decent fighting game, but it's one of those things that your wife's looking at you and said, and she's like, "What the?" Because they're you know they got really big bosoms and everything else. It's fan service out the wazoo. And so the wife will walk by and say, "What the hell are you playing?" And the immediate husband reaction is, "I'm doing it for the gameplay. It's a really fun fighting game. It's one of those games, right? Kind of like mm-hmm. the hyper dimension games can be." Um, but they just came out with the Vita game. So, I'm sorry, let me backtrack a little bit. In some of the games, 
there's a touch mechanic involved in between to like make the girls happy or whatever. It's weird. It's Japanese. Don't think about it too hard. But apparently on the Switch, they have come out with a game called Seiren uh, Kagura Reflections, which is only which is basically this very flimsy story, and there's no fighting in between. There's just the touch, you know, mechanic scenes in between. And, and 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 that's that's I mean it's basically a seventy minute game. It's it's not even half a game. So that's what I was thinking of when I said half the game. But I'm mixing up my because they're both fan servicey. They both have like the same art style and stuff. But it's it is really two different series. A so game my dad that has like a battle system in it. I mean, it, 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 time. yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're the 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 the, the, the if you like games like um, the the Musou style games, whatever Dragon Quest Heroes. Uh, you know, Hyrule Warriors, Fire Emblem, whatever. Uh, the, the, you, you know, the 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 Seiren Kagura is kind of along those lines. Um, it, but um, uh, and then there's one on the 3DS, which is more like a side scroll'em kind of a beat 'em up, which almost kind of reminiscent of Double Dragon, except with you know seems like deeper mechanics and the such. But yeah, again, if your wife's walking by looking at it, she's gonna be, "What the hell are you playing?" You know, especially with the cutscenes, like, "What the hell are you doing?" It's like, "No, no, it's like the Playboy magazines. It's for the articles. It really is." See, I do the opposite. I do the opposite when I'm playing a game and I see a girl in it that has huge boobs. I'll show it to my husband and be like, "What do you think?" And he's like, "Uh, nine out of ten." Yeah. <laughs> he he always appreciates that those three games for all of like $12 and uh, yeah, I got two hours of giggles out of one the other day and uh, we'll see. I, I highly doubt I will end up defeating fully any of these games anytime in the next year or two but they're there on the videos for laughs and giggles and yeah, it, it's turn-based combat, my uh, my bread and butter, So, uh, but it's got some movement mechanics and uh, area of effects. Get into a little bit more strategy than uh, just your standard Dragon Quest battles. Um, that's about it. Um, nothing else going on. Dragon Quest Eleven is going to take a, a good 100 hours. I'm sure I'm going to do all the post-game stuff, too, and all that stuff. So hopefully uh, another Dragon Quest Seven type experience there, but uh, with the beautiful Dragon Quest Eight plus plus graphics and a pretty good story that's shaping up right now. So you said the uh, voice acting is really great. There's a... I have no other areas of praise to uh, keep onto it other than what's already been said. Yeah, it's, it's a it's a beautiful game. How about you, Mr. Minky? I just discovered that apparently Helen Hunt and Paul Reiser want to reboot Mad About You, which is uh, I have no idea what to say about that. It, I don't think don't we have enough '90s revivals already? Uh, I am nearly done with Rainbow Moon. Rainbow Skies. Is that even possible? I am in the final dungeon, which is pretty big, and the enemies take a while to kill. But I want to get to the end of it. You know, it's even the post game. I'm I'm at level six hundred fourteen, I think, right now. Wow. I I know it's. I never expected this thing to take so much time, but I'm still captivated by it, and yet I can sense that the end is finally upon the horizon. Because Alex offered me something called Moonfall Ultimate, which I downloaded on Steam, and I will be playing shortly. I just got the thing, so I can't say a thing about it because uh, I haven't played it yet, but it's on my hard drive. And it will almost certainly not draw me in as much as Rainbow Skies has done. 
Yeah, that would be a tall ball. I don't want to give you any spoilers, but I just Googled that, and I'm guessing you're correct. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that's all I'll say. That's all I'll say. Probably not going to be 400 hours of your time. No. L- odds are very, very low. In fact, what's the last thing that I spent 400 hours on? Uh... Borderlands 2, I think, comes closest, and even that wasn't 100 hours. How much time did I spend with that? Only 233 hours with Borderlands 2, gosh. I'm hard-pressed to remember the last game other than WoW that I spent more than triple-digit hours on. I, I want to say either Ninokuni 2 or uh, Monster Hunter Stories. Let's see, otherwise... Yeah, aside from seeing that Mad About You is being rebooted for freaking Ray. And we're getting a new Charlie's Angels, everybody! Hooray! Just what we needed. Charlie's Angels is back with Kristen Stewart as one of the angels. <laughs> they have said so they want an angel that never smiles. Yes. Uh, I saw The Predator over the weekend. It was enjoyable. I'm not going to claim it was great, but it was enjoyable. And it wisely ignores both Alien versus Predator movies because they're garbage. <laughs> and we're getting pretty late, so I'm going to cut it short here. Phil, what you got? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you already talked about what I've done on the uh, sidetrack and um, and uh, later on, uh, well, we just wrapped up Curse of the Zerbons on our Twitch stream, which we'll talk about. I'll talk about more on a future sidetrack at some point. Uh, and start going to start Wasteland 2. So if you're joining us, we do that every Sunday night starting at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I live stream on Twitch. Uh, we invite everyone to join onto Discord. It's kind of like one of these podcasts here, but it's more casual. And, you know, well, our podcast is casual to begin with, but somehow it gets more casual. And we kind of just sit around chit-chat. Some people watch me play games, and we do giveaways. So you're more than welcome to come join us. You can find out more information at rpgamer.com. And uh, there's a community tab where you can find out how to join us on Discord, or you can just hit, you can just you know listen and and do the text chat thing at twitch.com forward slash rpgamer. Again, starting at uh, 8 p.m. Eastern time, 5 p.m. Pacific. Aside from that, of course, been playing a, a crap ton of Monster Hunter. Uh, Mr. Apps and I, Apps will stream those from time to time. I think we're going to play again this Thursday and do some, st- which maybe probably before I get this actually edited. But, uh, you know, we've been doing the, the hunt stories from Monster Hunter podcast. We've got eight episodes up now, eight chapters for you to go and listen to and listen to our various hunts and, and successes and failures and the such. So, so you can go over there. It's a it's a tighter podcast. It's a focused podcast. It, it, I don't think any of our shows really run longer than an hour. Uh, so you're really getting a lot of great Monster Hunter tips just kind of crammed in. We stay really focused on that show. Uh, and we just talk about, you know, this 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 series again. We're talking about Monster Hunter World and Monster Hunter uh, Generations Ultimate, which is what we've been really been diving into lately. Didn't and I have a Monster Hunter episode on the backtrack. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Can you ever truly have answer. enough? Can you, can you ever? You can't have enough. Yeah, no, and uh, I especially enjoy grossing uh, Mr. Apps out with my Kezu gun. So if you Google up Kezu uh, when you're bored, boys and girls, I think there's an H in there, like K-H-E-Z-U. Uh, he is a wyvern type of, he's like a, a lizard, I don't know how to describe him. He's like a gigantic worm with wings and claws. And instead of like a face, it's just kind of like a mouth on one end. And it almost looks like a mouth on the other end because it's like a big long tail. It's like, again, it's like a worm, but it has, you know, claws and wings spread out on the sides. Uh, it's an electrical creature 
and it, it just looks disturbing. It, it's a pain in the ass to fight, and it, it just it's a thing of nightmares. Well, I, I found a way to make it into a bow gun. And it looks, from a distance, it looks like some sort of, of needle, like you would use to, you know, like a needle to get into your arm. But it's bigger, and it shoots bullets. But on closer inspection, and you can Google up the Kezu gun, boys and girls, to get this full image into your mind that you'll wish you didn't. Uh, but you can see that, uh, that it looks like basically what we did was we cut the monster open, we stuck a gun inside of him, then we stitched the monster back up over the gun. It's it's really disturbing. So that's actually the the main joy I get from Monster Hunter right now. It's just grossing Mike out with my new Kezu gun. So yeah, that that's fun to be had. No, uh, Monster Hunter Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate uh, excites me the same reason ne- Nexus excites me because it's a culmination of all the previous Monster Hunters. It doesn't have the deepest story or anything, not even close. Uh, Monster Hunter's not known for its stories, but what it does has is is countless monster okay i guess you can count them there's 93 but a crap ton of monsters and weapons and armor and sets supporting it like the the game that like the different things you can do with your palicos and your armors and level not really leveling up but gearing up and working your way through that and just on top of that there's the normal 14 weapons that you've had in the last few monster hunter games but each weapon in this particular game has six different hunter styles and it was like they weren't afraid to take risks with this game. Monster Hunter games tried really hard to be balanced and everything else. But here they just said, you know what? Screw guys. Every weapon's getting six Hunter styles, and some are just going to be better than the others. But you play what you want. And so essentially now you have 90 different ways to play the game. It's just it's just awesome. It just does such a really you know, great job with that. Um, so that's what, that's what I've been kind of doing on my Switch, really, instead of, you know, playing Dragon Quest VIII, which is probably what I should be doing on my 3DS right now, and trying to get through that so I can get to Monster Hunter 11 properly, so, or 10. You mean Dragon Quest 11? Whatever Dragon Quest, whatever we're up to, yeah, it's late, but whatever, whichever one we're up to. So, yeah, that's what I'm doing. Okay, well, yeah, let's get this all uh, wrapped up. Thank you all so much. Uh, uh, thank you, Relly and Mr. Mesmer, for being on the show. Uh, and and hope to see you all again soon. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, as a reminder, RPG Backcheck is a production of RPGamer.com, your source for news, reviews, and homes to best gaming community on the net. One day I'll put this into a proper outro. Maybe I'll do it for episode 200. Anywho, uh, go ahead and, like I said before, leave us comments on our on our page of the latest episode or hit us up twitter at jc servant at you may sin uh or anything along those lines we're happy to hear from you and read your comments on the air uh and take your suggestions into account as we choose what to talk about down the road uh and uh, mr minky would you like to put us to sleep i would like to say that even the disgaea episode is shorter than going through the opening dungeon of the original version of Dragon Quest VII where you have absolutely nothing. And I'm talking Disgaea without any fast-forward filters put onto it. So, just keep that in mind when you want to go through the original version of Dragon Quest VII, people. Just know what you're in for. Good night. Hey, you can put the podcast on.